sometimes I want, like, I hear myself laughing. I think, did I fake that laugh? You don't know. <laughs> sometimes you don't know. And I'll, I'll just think, okay, was that just like 20% funny or was that just a fake laugh? I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, yeah, I was probably just in the mood to laugh. I was set up mm-hmm. and I was ready to laugh and no matter what came out. Yes. Hello and welcome to B Plus with Braden Zimmer. My guest today is Zach Coben, and this is his third pod appearance on the podcast. Uh, the, one of the reasons I love to talk to Zach is he is very curious, and he asks a lot of genuinely interesting questions that take a long time to answer, which that tendency is one of my favorites um, in terms of a conversationalist. And yeah, that's this tendency on his part is one of the reasons that we our episode today is longer than two hours. I think it tops out at about two hours and eight minutes or nine minutes. Yeah, it was a really, really enjoyable conversation to have, and I hope you guys enjoyed as well. Hello, Zach. Hello. Good to have you back for, or thank you for coming back for uh, appearance, or not appearance, I guess there's no uh, video aspect to this, but uh, what would be the word? The, the, the audio version the, of appearance. The podcast? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but like if you if you appear on a TV show, you blank on a podcast. Uh, appear? I don't even know. Appear doesn't feel right. I don't think there's a word for it. I don't no, think I don't there's know. a. Uh, I don't think there is. But you know, we should make one. All right. You um, have any ideas? Sapir. <laughs> pod peer. Pod peer. All right. Okay. I'm you, pod peering on you're this pod episode. peering for the third time. Yeah. Oh, that's ridiculous. I might have to edit that out. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. It all stays. Um, so today. I want to ask you, I came in with the idea that I'm going to ask you about Formula One yeah. racing. Yeah. The I, sport I'm probably most into. So you'd say that for sure? I think so, yeah. I mean, I don't, it doesn't have to be for sure, but so you'd say you watch it the most or you're, what do you mean by into? Uh, I just know the most about like, since it's so much smaller of a space than like other mm-hmm. big sports in the US, like. You can know more without having to spend as much time watching it because there's only one race every weekend or every few weeks instead of football games all the time and so many different teams. So just know a lot more. And I I find it pretty interesting. Listen to podcasts about it, watch videos, all Mm -hmm. that stuff. That's fascinating (laughs) how you want to know more about it. Like it's like I agree because if I'm – if I want something to be like a primary hobby or something, yeah. I don't want to feel like I'm not competent or skilled at this particular thing. So I wouldn't want to be Definitely. a fan of something I couldn't know well. Yeah. It's I like think. if I try to talk to the you guys about hockey, I'm mm-hmm. way over my head. Even mm-hmm. if I know a little bit about each team, still not close to knowing enough. Whereas Formula One's got 20 drivers. Mm-hmm. If I know all 20 drivers, easy. <laughs> True, actually. Yeah. I feel that way about soccer or European football because mm-hmm. um, there's like there's not there's not one Premier League like there I mean yeah, literally exactly. <laughs> literally okay. there is but there's not like there's FIFA mm-hmm. there's like international and then there's the professional leagues yeah and you can't really say like the best the best international team is kind of on par with the best professional team yeah like there's not I mean is that true I think that's true um, yeah it would be pretty true I think or is Bayern Munich just the best team in the world Bayern's pretty crazy right now yeah okay. yeah. I think they could definitely challenge international teams. Mm-hmm. And but the best international teams being France, Germany. Yeah. Who else? Brazil, Italy, uh, Spain. They're always up there. Okay. 
yeah, soccer is interesting. I think a lot of people like watch specifically one league mm-hmm. and are pretty into one league, but will know the top few teams of each league because of the Champions League and Europa League. So when you're watching the Champions League, you, you would know, you'd have to know a top team from all of the European countries, not even like the big leagues. And then the top few teams from France, Germany, Italy, and Spain and UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely just like watching soccer. So much to learn. Plus, I remember um, Jason Rudebolt used to watch it with his dad, and he would say yeah. he'd get up at like really, really early mm-hmm. to watch it. Is that right? Yeah, I, I mean, games are often at like 3 a.m. here. Yeah. But sometimes, like I was watching a Tottenham game today, and it's middle of the day because they had a p.m. game. I guess you could record it if it's early, but it's not the same when you can just mm-hmm. go on Google and see who won exactly. at any moment. Yeah. It's the same way with Formula 1, though, because races are primarily in Europe, and they'll be at noon or 1 p.m., so... Mm-hmm. 3 a.m. or 4 4 a.m. here. That's a great segue back into what I intended to talk about. Okay, so Formula One. Yes. I intentionally came in here without knowing anything about it, except I did a quick Google search. Okay. I stopped after the first sentence. It's the premier world stage for racing. Yeah, it's just the highest level of any type of racing for cars in the world. So what are the what are the car is it called would you is it called a league? Is Formula One a league? Uh I don't know. Hmm. I I couldn't even answer that question. What do you call like a race league? Maybe it is. I don't, I don't know. know why I can't answer that question. It could be like the name of the race. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, but NASCAR. Mm-hmm. What is that? And how is that related? Uh, I mean, they're both racing series. NASCAR uh, just goes around an oval. And there's lots there's lots of small differences but and bigger differences. Like Formula One cars are more built to turn. You know, they're, they have okay. high aerodynamics so that they're uh, better to race in twisty, turny tracks. Okay. Um, they're not just built around going for a top speed, whereas NASCAR, since you have long corners mm-hmm. and long straights, and it's just an oval, you're just trying to get really high maximum speeds mm-hmm. so that you can maintain that speed throughout the race. And NASCAR races are way longer, mm-hmm. so there's different types of strategies involved, like... And pit stops are way longer in NASCAR. So there's just lots of different types of strategy. But when it comes down to it, they're both racing cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so NASCAR races are the ones you see. Are, they're more often in films. Yeah. Where it's just a big oval all the time. Mm-hmm. And you do like 100 laps or however, like 300 laps or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's the one where there's lots of crashes. Mm-hmm. There's lots of crashes in all racing, really. Mm. But NASCAR crashes are crazy because they're always at really high speed. Ah. Um, and I feel like we, we only see NASCAR a lot more in film and on TV here is just because it's American, whereas Formula One is primarily European. Mm, okay. Um, and there, with Formula One racing is windy, windier tracks. There's mm-hmm. not just the oval? No, yeah. It's like if you think about a racetrack in your mind, uh, like if you're not thinking of an oval. <laughs> I'm thinking of an oval. I'm picturing the oval right now. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Windy track like that. Okay. Um, is it like sort of, you know? You know, would you ever play DS? Mm-hmm. Did you play Mario Kart? Yeah. Is it like that, but just not the crazy uh, environments interfering with the game? Like no mushrooms and stuff? Yeah. Okay. I would say it's like that, except add some pit stops and some long straights, and you have a okay. Formula 1 track. How? What's the average length of a race? Um, each lap is about, can vary from about like a minute to a minute 40 minute okay. 50 okay. Uh, depending on how long the track is um 
average length of the race would be, I think, are like around an hour. Okay, normally, so thirty laps, like forty laps. If it's like a minute and a half race, does that math make sense? Mm, no, shoot, fifty fifty laps. So. If there's a minute and a half race, okay. And then like this past weekend was the shortest lap race ever. So it was like they were doing them in fifty five seconds, and it was like seventy laps. So oh, wow. it just depends on how many or how yeah. It sounds kind of like it would be quick. 55 seconds, like, oh, it's, it's fast-paced action, mm-hmm. but seven laps is a long time. Yeah. So do you, are most, is mostly, is most of the race inconsequential? Um, what do you mean by that? So basically you could be, maybe I'm getting too quick, maybe I'm skipping things, but if you're in last after round lap 30, mm-hmm. can you still come back? Depends on your car. It's like, that's the interesting thing about Formula One. Certain teams have just way better cars than other teams Mm -hmm. Uh, because you have regulations set to the type of car you can build and like super strict regulations. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you have these big market teams. Um, For example, Ferrari and Mercedes are super popular, super big teams that are pretty well established. So they have a lot of money. And since they win more, they also gain more money from winning. And... They have the best engineers, the best team out there, right? So they put together the best possible car. And that car is maybe one second faster per lap than the car that's, you know, in 10th place. Mm -hmm. But um, that one second is actually a huge margin in, in racing, right? So one second could be over 60 laps is a full minute and you got an extra lap on someone. Mm-hmm. So if you're in last place on the first lap and you're in a Mercedes car, which is by far the best right now, um, you could definitely still come first depending on circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're in last and you're in a Williams car, which is by far the worst, mm-hmm. you're never going to make it into the top 10 really. So many questions, but I'm going to start. I want to table that because I wanted to ask and I will ask about what's in it for Williams. Like, why is Williams even competing? How long have they been competing? And what's their goal? And is it feasible to catch these Mercedes Ferrari types? But I'll I'll table that for now. Mm -hmm. Who is competing? There are 10 teams. Okay. 20 cars. So each team has two cars. Okay. uh, Which means two different drivers. Mm -hmm. Um, The 10 teams are Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull. Uh, Toro Rosso, Racing Point. Okay. I guess it's not called Toro Rosso anymore. Anyway, Haas, McLaren, Renault, Williams, and Alfa Romeo. I think that's 10. Okay, that's 10. And uh, yeah, so there's 10 teams, uh, but only four different engine manufacturers. Um, So certain teams buy their engine from other teams. So Mercedes, for example... Uh, builds an engine and they sell their engine to Williams Mm -hmm. and Racing Point. And then you have Ferrari who builds an engine selling to Haas and Alfa Romeo. Mm -hmm. Um, And Renault builds an engine that they sell to McLaren as well. And then Honda actually builds uh, the Red Bull and Toro Rosso engines, but they don't have their own team. They're just an engine manufacturer. (laughs) Why doesn't Honda get in the race? They used to have a team, but I don't know. It's expensive to have a Formula One team, really expensive. And if you're near the end, if you don't have a huge fan viewership, 
and mm-hmm. good sponsors, then you're not making money. Okay. Um, do the leading teams, like, mm-hmm. did, did you see Mercedes made engines? Mm-hmm. Okay, you did. That was the first one you said. Um, would they make a worse engine for the teams, for the other teams? Uh, I believe they give them the same engine. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just the, kidding. the differences come in the aerodynamics of the car. So small things like you could have a little slit in your front wing of your car mm-hmm. and that can be a huge deal mm-hmm. in the world of Formula One or like a slightly, just slight tiny differences you would never notice as a viewer mm-hmm. until someone pointed them out or you got a close inspection mm-hmm. um, and they make huge differences. So the commentary must be really important. Yeah. Watching a Formula One race. Yeah. I think that's why I watch so many YouTube videos and stuff about it mm-hmm. and interviews because you would never notice the differences just by watching a race. Um, okay. So I'm Mercedes. Yeah. I own a team. So basically the, the CEO or not CEO, the owner of mm-hmm. Mercedes mm-hmm. says, okay, I want to be a Formula One. Yeah. So they have this, he or she has the stake. Um, so they'll... They bought their team and a lot of the modern teams bought their team from another team that's leaving. Okay. So they bought their team from Braun GP Okay. Uh, in, I don't know, 2008, I think. Mm-hmm. And Braun GP won the previous year. Mm-hmm. So um, when Mercedes is buying their team, they're not importing all new engineers and a whole new team. They're buying the Braun GP name or team, mm-hmm. renaming it, mm-hmm. keeping the staff that they like and importing the personnel that they want in and taking over. It's kind of great. Sounds yeah. awesome. Well, they got a great deal because they bought the best team. Most teams that are leaving are not going to be the best team. Well, but I mean, you, you, the price I'm sure reflects that. Yeah. Like, I'm sure. Is it Bron, Bron T? Bron GP. Bron GP. I'm sure mm-hmm. they were like, yeah, Hey, we won. So exactly. Yeah. How much did it go for? Do you know? I don't know. Millions or billions. I really have no idea. But you know what, before I, I started really watching. I only started watching 2018. Oh, but, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have your Wi-Fi. How much did GP sell for? Sorry, people. Um, oh, Braun, B-R-A-W-N. Yeah. And they were only in Formula 1 for one year. They came in oh. one at one and then sold the team. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's pretty Who did crazy. they buy from? Do you know? No, you don't know. Uh, it's too far behind when I started watching. Okay, well, I can't see a number off the bat, so sorry, people. It's just, it's just not going to work. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. okay, so you buy the team. What is So it's just a bunch of engineers, a bunch of uh, maintenance crew, those sorts of things, mm-hmm. and then a handful of drivers. Yeah, two drivers only. Just you, two you drivers. Don't no, get injured. <laughs> you, you, you have subs, but they are often racing in different circuits. Okay. So, like, there's Formula 2, there's Formula 3. Oh, so like, that's great. Yeah. So drivers, they start like all the drivers, they're starting their racing careers when they're kids, like mm-hmm. under 10 years old. Yeah. They'll start racing go-karts. And in Europe, especially, there's tons of high level go-karting for youth. Hmm. So like these drivers that are in Formula One now, there's pictures of them winning, you know, like when they're 13 winning super important races. And then being in Formula 3, which is full-size cars when they're 14, 15 years old. Wow. And then you have to like win a certain amount of races and gain a certain amount of points 
um, before you can get your super super license, I think it's called, which allows you to become a member of Formula One. Super license. Yeah, That's something awesome. like that. <laughs> That's such a cool name. And the reason for that is that uh, you could, any team could just import a driver that is, has a lot of money backing them, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a team barely getting by and some guy comes with his son and he's like, I'll give you guys this amount of money and these sponsors and this type of viewership, why would you not import this driver even if he's not going to be the best driver option? Mm-hmm. Because it's not just your, it's not only important to win the race, but you have to make a profit somehow. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you have teams like Red Bull who are only in it because they sell energy drinks. They're a marketing team, right? So <laughs> they are a race team, but they are just trying to make their energy drink more popular. That was my next question for what would make Mercedes want to buy. So their Mercedes is, is having a net profit from having a team. Uh, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I believe they probably would if it came down to it. Mm-hmm. If you see a, a car manufacturer, Mercedes, winning, they've won the last six years, I think. So if you're seeing that as a consumer, and you can probably maybe say, oh, they probably make pretty good engines. Mm-hmm. They might make nice cars, even though it's not really the same team at all. Mm-hmm. It's Mercedes F1 is not really connected to Mercedes except by name. Right. And <laughs> I like that. And yeah. So it probably works for marketing. So the, there's nothing, there's nothing about formula one Mercedes engines that trickles into the Mercedes cars. Oh, I mean, there's probably some things because right now they're making like turbo hybrid engines. So they're probably taking some of that technology that they find in their wind tunnels for their formula one cars and, adding it to what they can do. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so I guess there probably was, is a bit, yeah. Yeah, but I see what you mean where it's like, especially if you're getting, you're buying a car from a different company, mm-hmm. there's nothing about that car. Like, Braun GP, mm-hmm. that was their car. Yeah. there's. It's not like all the Mercedes cars from previous years suddenly become Braun yeah, exactly, GP technology. Yeah. Um, okay, so now I've got the players, the motivation. So someone like the owners have varying degrees of varying motivations. Mm-hmm, some definitely. want money more. Some want probably some want glory too. Yeah. I'm sure that there's some people like, I want my name. I mean, they're in there to win. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They are there. They might've first got into it because they wanted to market their brand, mm-hmm. but to best market your brand, you're trying to win for sure. Absolutely. So once you're in there, you're doing whatever you can to create a winning team. Mm-hmm. Well, still trying to make money. <laughs> it's always the second thing. That's so funny because it's the same thing. Um, I'll use hockey because I know it. But in mm-hmm. a lot of these like American sports and Canadian hockey sport, um, they're like the owners. It's good to have a rich owner because they're going to spend more money and lose money. Definitely. To sign the better players. Yeah. Um, so it's like kind of this weird confluence of, okay, you, the owners are doing whatever they want to, whatever they can do to win with a little asterisk. And it's like, okay, but there's a, there's a hard line where I don't want to spend any more money than this per yep. year, which is kind of interesting. And it's, yeah, it's the same in Formula One. Like mm. you, not all teams are going to have the same budget, not even close to the same budget. Yeah. Some teams might be like right now there's a salary cap for next year. So everything's going to probably or not salary cap, but budget cap. So things will change a lot. Mm. Um, but for now, like 
Mercedes might be spending 10 times as much as some of the bottom tier teams mm-hmm. just for that extra second per lap, which is pretty crazy. And their drivers cost a lot more. Um, How much do drivers make? Do you know? Uh, I know Lewis Hamilton makes 40 million per, per year, year, but he is way above everybody else. There's yeah. some making 1 mil or less than. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's there's 10 drivers in the world. Kids 15 years and young. Kids 10 years old are racing mm-hmm. go-karts. Yeah. Is that competitive? And you're making a million dollars being the 10th best driver in the world. Uh, yeah, but there's probably a lot more incentive than just their salary. Mm. Uh, oh, of course. I'm assuming. Like if you're getting points even, which is just the top 10 per race, then you probably bonuses. Get, get bonuses. That's probably... It, the bonuses probably dwarf the actual salary. Yeah, I know for Red Bull especially, they're famous for having super high bonuses. Mm-hmm. And one of their drivers is extremely good. and So he's getting paid a lot more than with salary. Does I wonder if he drinks Red Bull before the race. I mean, I would hope so. <laughs> I hope he does that turns the camera. <laughs> yeah. Red Bull. Um, okay, what else was I thinking? There's so many questions. This is interesting. It's very interesting. I'm glad to hear. Um, what do you like about like when you sit down, what drew you? First of all, what drew you here? What drew you to Formula One? Honestly, what has gotten me into the sports I like right now has just been what sport puts out the best media. And for me, that's YouTube. So Formula One races before 2017 weren't on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then in 2018, I discovered them and I was like, wow, this is pretty sick. There's seven minute highlight videos. I can watch, there's only like 20 races a year. I can easily keep up with this and it's awesome watching highlights of Formula One because you just see the best parts. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of down parts. Mm-hmm. And then I grew more interested in it and I realized, you know, why teams are so different, the engineering side and the strategy side, because before each race you're you have practices, you're trying to find out which tires are the best. You're trying to find out how to set up your aerodynamics, your downforce all these different things. And there's actually so much more that goes into it than just drivers getting into a car and racing. Mm -hmm. They're just the, the last thing that you add to the equation, but it's really like the strategy and the engineering that I find the most interesting. And that's, that that's covered by the media all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, there's someone, there's been a breakthrough in this technology or they just changed their, like this team has just added this component to their car. Yeah. So all before, each race. So each race is on a Sunday. Um, and Thursday beforehand, there'll be interviews. And then there'll be, you know, clips of interviews and all that. And people will be saying what might be different this week, what uh. they thought of last week. And then Friday, you have your first two practice sessions and you'll start to see, you know, what teams are looking a little better on this track than other teams. Okay. Because certain tracks change, like certain cars are better than certain track tracks, just the way they're set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Saturday where you have your next practice and qualifying. And then Sunday's your race day. Wow. That's and cool. then, and then after the race, there'll be more interviews. So you have like those four days of, of formula one that I get to watch. Mm-hmm. And then you got a few days break or a week and a half break or two and a half weeks break. Um, Cause they're not every week. Normally mm-hmm. this year has been a bit of an exception because it's been way more condensed because they started really late because of COVID. But yeah, I don't know. Then after all that, if you want to go more deep into it, you can listen to podcasts about it or you can mm. find YouTube videos and and 
they'll be titled something like why did racing point do so well in this race and they'll show you the fine uh, little details. I so, can see why that would be intriguing to click yeah. on. You could really go as deep as you want. Do you watch, in addition to all of the um, produced content mm-hmm. and, and sort of um, curated content, do you watch live races ever? Mm, rarely. Rarely, okay. The, just because 3 a.m., mm-hmm. not that into. Do people watch would people sit down and watch seventy hour or seventy minutes of? Oh, definitely. Okay. Uh, I think most people. I mean, anyone who's really into most sports would watch it. Like well, into Formula One. I mean, here's an example. Oh, most sports because I was going to say poker. Mm-hmm. You don't. You never watch a whole poker game. They would. They'd film it, and maybe it takes twenty hours, or, yeah. turn, or maybe turn, some tournaments way longer. Yeah. It's like over a week, and then they just like when they're they just cut it into the best hands for cut the best and the most narrative so who gets eliminated yeah um hands maybe the actual consumable quote-unquote game is three hours yeah something so then that same thing doesn't sort of doesn't happen really well i I would compare it more like to soccer where you don't have super exciting things happening all the time in a soccer game Mm -hmm. but you know things are happening Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) they're just you know it's not crazy yeah Uh, and then you have a goal or three goals a game, let's say. Whereas, you know, Formula One, similar length of the race, but you're going to have 20 exciting things, depending on what you consider exciting, happen. So it might as well be to worth watch the whole thing, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Well, I imagine the degree to which you're a fan, like like soup, people who were like grew up watching it, they grew up go-karting because they aspire to be a Formula One driver, probably yeah. just watch it very closely and love everything about it. Well, just me watching it now, I wish I had that opportunity as a kid, but obviously. To drive? Oh, yeah. Uh, I love driving and like go-karts and stuff. Seems like it would have been fun. That, I feel like some people just have that or they don't. Like I have no Mm -hmm. interest really. I've never been a speed demon on the highway or anything. Yeah. And I've never really desired to watch races or been super pumped up for races. Yeah. I was always growing up. I couldn't wait to drive, and turning sixteen, I, you know, was so pumped to get my L right away and start driving. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've always just loved. Not it. for the freedom aspect, but for the actual like feeling of driving. Yeah, mm-hmm. always. Hmm. If only there was some. If only Nimo had the apparatus for, <laughs> <laughs> or the yeah, the apparatus for young drivers, like young yeah. professional drivers. It's also a really expensive sport to get into, so most of these drivers that are in come from pretty rich families because as when you're a kid if you're these go-kart series are touring around your country or they're touring around europe and Mm. you're putting up up your own cars and taking a lot of time it's expensive do people buy their own the young the the prodigies buy their protégés buy their own cars well their parents do but yeah wow that's crazy yeah you think hockey equipment's expensive yeah, I mean, similar here. I mean, it'd be people that are dirt biking. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it'd be the most similar as a kid here. I even think... I was thinking about this when I was biking the other day. Mm-hmm. I bet you a lot of sports... Like, when hockey was starting in Canada, you could be a pro hockey player. Like, I'm talking like the early 1900s. Yep. Early 20th century. Medium 20th century. You could be... <laughs> you could be out of shape. Yep. You could be 
you could take summers off, come to come out of shape every year to like training camp and still be the best or one of the best players. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, like, and that's just because of the, the, the small pool of competitive people who want to be, have your spot. Yeah. But now the amount of spots in the NHL hasn't really, I mean, there's more teams. Sure. But relative to how many more people are competing to get those spots, mm-hmm. the parity is less and less. That's, am I using that word right? I mean, maybe it's less and less, but it's just a comparison to these guys that were taking half a year off and coming in to their summer training camp compared to people that weren't playing at all. Whereas the parity now is people doing that and the people that are super exceptional. Are, and the exceptional ones are the only ones that make it. But I'm sure. But I'm sure in that time you could yeah. be you could be like just a quality athlete, like a high level athlete, and, and not put much effort in, mm-hmm. and come like some people at that time. Don't get me wrong, were coming in shape. They were staying in shape all the time. Definitely. But you could be a super athlete and make up for not trying that hard. Yeah, I don't doubt that. Whereas now you can't. No, this is why I struggle to find an argument that says that players aren't just going to get better at all sports. Yeah, because. More people want to get into it. Mm-hmm. Training regiments are better, and players are just always going to get better. Maybe there'll be a point where that's not true, but for now. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so we have that established. And then mm-hmm. I thought about this. Okay, so maybe in the 1950s, most young hockey players who were aspiring to the NHL worked a day job. Yeah. Definitely. You know what I mean? Now yeah. you can't because no. there's so many people who come from rich families who aspire to be hockey players that none of them, their parents, are like, hey, you need every advantage. You don't have to work. Mm-hmm. So it's going to get to the point where poor people can't play, just are just eliminated from competition at the NHL level pretty much effectively because rich families are going to put their kids in these intense programs and their kids aren't going to have to work ever. Yeah. I mean, that's already similar to how it is. Those people that are in those rich programs are going to have a higher chance. Mm-hmm. But there is always the chance that a kid playing public soccer as a kid and mm-hmm. playing soccer in elementary school and high school could still become a professional yep. and playing outside school, right? It's not, doesn't completely eliminate that. No. But, but do you they think have it, a lower chance. Do you think, but I think, I bet you if you could like actually calculate the statistics, I bet you that happens less and less. Yeah. And I bet you, like, I wonder how little it'll happen eventually. Like if, it, if we continue at this rate, right, where we, mm-hmm. we keep developing these more and more intensive programs for kids at a younger, younger age, at what point do the people who don't have access to those resources just not have a chance at all no matter if you're Wayne Gretzky like if you're born with Wayne Gretzky level talent <laughs> I don't know I okay that like seems crazy there's always a chance that if you're born with that much talent you don't need the extreme training regimen maybe it's not like I kind of believe that it won't make like it obviously makes a huge difference but I don't think it'll ever or I don't think it's at a point right now and I hope it won't ever be at a point where it's not that that difference of those extreme training regiments mm-hmm. are so extreme that the players that don't do them have no chance. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you'll always have a chance. Yeah. And I also wonder too, if now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, maybe the people who are like the players who are that good will get sponsored. Like someone, some yeah. team is going to see them in the pipeline and say, Hey, you're 10 years old, but you're a freak. We're gonna put. We're gonna pay for you all the way along if you come pledge four years at our college program or whatever. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, so that, that's a good thing. Yeah. But it's uh, like if you see if these even rep 
teams, uh, if they see a player in a house league that is obviously showing extreme potential, they can pool money in certain ways that, or do fundraisers that fundraisers that can get this kid onto the team. Yeah. And they probably some and like some teams. I bet you in Europe, there's a lot of clubs that probably just have the money. Oh, definitely. You know what I mean? Like it's not about fundraising and stuff. They just have donors and they have the money. Yeah. Because their donors want the best teams every year. They don't mm-hmm. want. They don't want to have off years. Um. Yeah, I. Uh, I see that. I kind of wanted the same thing about. Well, there's in everything, right? Like in chess. Yeah. In, in 1940, you didn't have to be a prodigy at age eight. Mm-hmm. To eventually be a competitive grandmaster. No, there was super old grandmasters back then. Yeah. People were in their 60s and they were still grandmasters. And, and today you just don't have the neural plasticity at age 60 to compete with these young players. Definitely not, yeah. So it's just like the competitive level has risen so much. It's kind of sad. Like it's kind of you wish that for the days when when it was enough to be a freak athlete or a freak brain or yeah. something. You didn't have to put in these – like you didn't have to spend a life doing this thing. Mm-hmm. I respect it, and I like we've re- we've reached a better result. But it's like some of the magic is gone. Yeah, we're always just going to strive for the best possible yeah. players or gamers or chess players, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is just going to be the end result. Is you have to be raised as a kid doing that thing. Mm-hmm. And chess players are scouted when they're ten years old, or like they're talked about around the world when they're fifteen years old. Yeah. And everyone questions, does this kid have a chance to be the new Magnus Carlsen or anything like that? I feel like that's just the way it's going to continue to go. Hmm. I don't, I like where it's going. I don't want to get too, do you have anything more to cover with Formula One? We, we've done a galloping introduction for the people, for the person who knows nothing but is intrigued. Yeah. Um, if you're intrigued, go check out some YouTube highlights. Watch some Formula One races. See if you like them or not. Who's your favorite driver? Oh. Or is there one? Is that how you think? Do you even think about it like that? I See, that's a great question because I don't know. I, there's a lot of drivers I like. And then there's a lot of drivers I don't like as much. There's Why? two Canadian drivers. Okay. Which immediately makes me want to like them more. Yeah. But they both are not very good right now. Or like, have not qu- been good. Quality? Like in terms of their racing yeah. results or in terms of their personalities? Racing results. And eh, okay, personalities. They're not that interesting to watch interviews of. But Ooh, that hurts. Like one's only in there because his dad owns a team. Mm-hmm. And there's better drivers that could have a spot for sure that aren't in Formula One. Mm-hmm. And then the other one just got promoted to Formula One last year. So maybe it's a little too early to see how good he's going to be. But Way too early. But he's been out-qualified by his teammate every race. By the team, by the one whose dad's the owner? Um that guy also, Lance Stroll, he, he's out-qualified his teammate a couple times, but the Nicholas Satifi is the other one. He's in a Williams. Oh, they're on the same team, those no, two Canadians. they're okay. on two different teams. Okay. Yeah, so Nicholas Satifi is in a Williams, and he's been out-qualified every race <laughs> by his sucks. teammate, George Russell. But George Russell, for that matter, could be an absolute prodigy. Oh, really? Yeah. So he's in the worst car right now Yeah. because he's only been in Formula 1 for a few years, but two years down the line, he'll probably be in a Mercedes. And he'll probably be one of the best in the business. Good for him. Yeah. That's pretty damn cool. So, this, yeah, it's kind of like a little mini game, right? Because the cars are obviously different in how good they are. Mm-hmm. But you still have two people racing each car. So you can tell who's going to be a better driver because they're racing the exact same car. Yeah. 
if one does better than the other in almost every race, they're probably a lot better. But it's it's hard to see if they're better than another player or another racer in another team. Yeah, it's almost like the there's a con- there's a controlled experiment within each team. Yeah, but there's an uncontrolled experiment between teams. Exactly. So like you always have. Yeah, I, I like that because then a if one driver has a bad race. The other driver can still represent a team well in a race. Yep. Or if there's some crazy accident that one driver has. And also, it's probably good for the drivers to be able to prove themselves relative to a driver in the same car. Yeah. Like, I'd want that. If I was, it'd be frustrating to be in a Williams. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And to be last, last, last. And the fans, the classic, the Fairweather fans, the ones who don't really know the, the nuances would be like, oh, this guy sucks. Why is he in our car? Yeah. And you're like, no, it's a Williams. It's a second per lap slower. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he's – and so, I don't know. My favorite drivers are probably Daniel Ricardo. He's Australian. He's just a beauty in interviews. He's a really good driver. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the fourth or fifth best team right now. Uh, but he – like on Renault. And, but he's just a beauty. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean by beauty? He's, if you watch any of his interviews, just clips, anything – he does. He's he's just funny. So is it is it he's confidence? Oh, it's funny. He's oh, funny. I love that. He's just okay. a seems like a really good guy. Okay, and he's a good driver at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some of my other favorites are probably just Max Verstappen, who's in a Red Bull. Um, he's just really good. Like maybe the best, if not second best, to Lewis Hamilton. Who's in Mercedes? Yeah. Mm. So it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he's just really good and aggressive and young and obviously has a bright future. Mm-hmm. And then George Russell on in the other Williams car, that same thing. Really good, but has never really had a chance to show himself. But surely there's so much money involved because like what's the average? Like who's Russell? What's his name? George Russell. How long has he been driving for Mercedes? This year and last year, I think only the last two years. Do you know how long the average Formula One career is as a driver? Can vary a little bit. Um, can vary a lot actually. Some drivers are in for one year, mm-hmm. two years. Mm-hmm. Like they'll come in, they don't, they don't show up. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get someone new. Um, or normally not one year. Normally it's at least two years because um, you got to give them a chance. Yeah. Um, and then you have Kimi Raikkonen, who's, I don't even, I think he's like 42 or something. Wow. Or something really old, but he's... <laughs> All the 42 year olds. Maybe not there. really old. Uh, maybe he's in his 30s. 42 seems crazy, but he's been racing for 20 years or something like that. Wow. See, I was going to say, you'd think yeah. with 20 drivers in the league mm-hmm. that there'd be constant flux. Yeah, it's pretty high turnover. Yeah, okay. Teams are, okay. or play, or racers get moved between two teams, or between teams mm-hmm. really often. Yep. And brought in from Formula 2. There's at least, there's normally at least one driver, or two drivers every year get brought up from Formula 2 to Formula 1, or from Formula 3 straight to Formula 1. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah. Has there ever been Formula 4 straight to Formula 1? I, Who knows? I don't Probably. think you can get enough points to get your license. The super license. Yeah, the super license. <laughs> <laughs> I might not also be the right term, but I'm going with it anyway. I okay. think it's super license. Wow. Okay. Yeah. How is this an, a new sport? Uh, it started in 1955. So quite not old. That it, it's, new. I think maybe the oldest racing series. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it's gone through a lot of variations. Cars look way different, obviously, than they did back then. Yeah. And back then it was like just these tiny little, tiny little cars, people racing around the streets of Monaco, that kind of thing. And now it's the premier racing series in the world. Just another example of in the early stages, anyone can do it. Definitely. But now it's, you need so much money because it's so competitive that it's just so exclusive. Exactly. Um, hmm, I don't think I have any other questions about it. I think you answered. I think we, yeah, I think we cleared it all. Um, before, we, uh, before we go back into the last clarifying things, we were talking about sports generally. Yeah. Um, you remember? Remember have any, having any lasting impressions from that conversation? Um, <laughs> I hope. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, later on. Um, why? I was going to ask what, like when you're watching a race, what draws you in, but it sounds like you don't often watch like the full thing. So that's not really, I mean, a, a pertinent question. Mm-hmm. Um, do you notice a trend in the sports you like to watch? What are your top three sports that you consume the most media? Uh, football right now, actually probably in general, football, soccer, and Formula One. Soccer. Okay. Like not football, soccer is in American football, American football, Mm -hmm. soccer. I just started really watching soccer this year, but it's the same thing. Like I barely watch full games of any sport unless I just have it on my second monitor when I'm doing homework. So I just watch a lot of highlights. And you watch chess? I watch a little bit of chess. Not much? Not much. Not as much as... I don't know. I thought I wanted to get into chess. Mm-hmm. And then I just tried to learn maybe one opening. And I was like, holy cow, I can barely remember this one opening and what to do if they do this. And then I... It was just... It's hard. But why not... I'm. When was this? Wild Wildback? This week. Dude! Do it! I want someone who plays... I was actually... I was having a conversation with um, my coworkers, and yeah. we were. The question was, um, if you could transplant an interest into one of your friends, what would it be? Yeah, I think I would transplant chess because it's so replayable. Yeah, because it's so complicated. Yeah, exactly. So you it's could meet up for time. coffee or go for a beer and bring a chessboard. Yeah, and have something to do. You can do it casually and talk, or you can go competitively. Yeah, like you can. If you're the same, um, if it's the same difficulty, or sorry, if you're the same skill level. You can even bet on it. Like you'd say, okay, yeah. best of three, loser pays for dinner. Yeah. Right? Like there's just so many things you can do and it's so portable. Yeah. It takes a lot of thinking though. It does. So. But you could do it. You could do speed chess where it's like, there's nothing, the stakes are fine. Just do what you want. Like, yeah. like you can, you can lower the competitive level mm-hmm. such that it doesn't require as much thinking as it would be if you're like, okay, I have to win this game. True. If you play one minute or three minute chess, it's a, it's a riot. Like you're. Just out there throwing pieces yeah. around, seeing what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pros that are playing it are, it's all, they know what they're doing. But of course. If you're playing one minute chess as someone, either of our levels, mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. It is. And the beautiful thing is it kind of forces you not to think ahead. So it frees yeah. you from the crippling anxiety of making the definitely, wrong choice. Definitely. Um, and that's what I was going to say is don't start by learning the openings. Start by just playing games. I know that's what you should do, but I just get so upset when I'm losing every game <laughs> because my... Doesn't it adjust your rating? Yeah, my rating is way too high, though. I don't know what I how I was winning so many when I first started playing, but my rating is way higher than it should be. Well, it'll 
It'll slowly lower it'll, as I it'll lose. Balance, right? right? I don't want to lose it. Dude, light. And that's the thing. I bet you that's what it is too. Yeah. Um, light chess, you lose quick. Like you oh, lose really? 20 to 30 points per oh, game. Oh, wow. Yeah, like chess.com is once you're settled into your rank, it's plus eight, minus eight. Every game? No matter what difficulty. The if they're a little higher, a little lower, then it'll be nine or 10, depending. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I would say. It's worth trying light chess because then you don't have to lose your rating. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would say like there was a while there where I was playing three or four games a day. Wow. For long, like for months. Yeah, I mean. And goodness. that. Oh, um, yeah, that is fun. Mm-hmm. And I think you can't think about it as because thing is once you like you could learn you could say okay for for tw- for the first half of twenty twenty I'm just gonna have fun and learn chess. Yeah. And then on August first. I'm going to delete my account, make a new account or a new name, and I'm going to have a fresh rating or something. Like if, if the rating matters, yeah, then you can start start fresh once you're six months better. All right. Here's a question for you. Okay. What's the point to learning chess? Like what's the point? Because it's fun. Yeah. Is it? I, oh, I, you don't like I, it? I don't know. Oh, see, if you're it's, not, if it's you like don't almost it. stressful for me mm. playing it because I have to think so much that I don't know. When I'm in school, I find I have a hard time playing any games that I have to think a lot mm-hmm. just because I want to not think when I'm playing games these days. Mm-hmm. So I'll just turn on games that I can just brain off and do well. Mm-hmm. But chess is like, I have to like sit up in my chair and get ready and then mm-hmm. go into it. But maybe that's just because I have the wrong attitude. Well, you know, it is a for fun game. You're a competitive guy. Yeah. And right when you said, oh, it's so stressful, I knew because I have the same thing where it's like sometimes I'm not in the mood because I'm already stressed. I've just failed something else. And so I don't want to have the risk of getting beaten and humiliated in chess. Exactly. But the thing is, yeah, it's that's the wrong way to think about it. And there for everything, for every challenging thing you do, there's a an equal reward. So like if you win a game of like, I have this app on my phone called Conquest. It's mm-hmm. Risk. Yep. I can win easily in any game, in any of the maps, even on the highest difficulty level. Weird flex. And <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but I, and I, I play it a lot, a lot, because, yeah. like, before bed, I'm like, I don't want, like, I'm tired. I don't want to play chess because I'm not going to be at my best. Mm-hmm. But who cares? Like, why, why is it always at my best? Why do I always care about being at my I, best? I guess it really shouldn't matter. Like, when you're getting to just get in there and have fun instead of trying to worry about winning or losing. But I don't know. I always want to be competitive and tr- try to win. Do you? Hmm. Huh. But maybe maybe you just want to like chess and you don't. That could be it, too. Yeah. Um. Possible. But do you think you kind of like chess? Like, you can I, see yourself being into chess? I like watching it a lot. Oh, that's the that's the whole battle right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's the most boring part of chess is watching it. But I think I could only I could only really get into it if I knew enough to feel like I was okay at it, which is hard because mm. and I I thought I could just go into games and be like, oh, I'm not going to worry about the openings, just play whatever. But I feel like for me, I can only really get into it if I feel a little bit confident in what I'm doing. What's your first move if you're white? Uh, E5 or E4, I mean. Is that the king? Yeah, king pawn. Okay, so that is by far the best first move. Yeah, it's just always. Um, Almost always my first three moves are E4, Knight-Knight. Yeah. 
or some variation. Yeah. Then maybe I get a bishop into play. Maybe I'll do if they if they meet e4 with e5. Maybe I'll do d or sorry if they if I do d4 they do d5. I'll do e4. Yeah. And then they'll take and I'll take with my queen. Yeah, uh, classic. Yeah. That's um, what you're saying. But like once you learn one, like once you kind of get an intuitive sense mm-hmm. of one or two openings, you can use that for you use those forever with white. Yeah. Yeah. White feels okay. Black feels tough. Yeah. I was trying to learn the Karakhan. I don't know that one. I don't know any of the names. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I was just like, I'm going to watch one video on one uh, defense that I know is pretty good mm-hmm. and see if I can learn it. But when you're playing an opening, you end up having 10 different variations because the other person could do whatever they want. They're not going to mm-hmm. play exactly mm-hmm. what they're what you want them to do into what you're playing. Well, here's the thing. You just learn... I think the best way to do it is not to stress, to play intuitively, and eventually you'll, you're a smart guy, you'll see the, the patterns emerge. Like maybe intuitively you won't, like you won't um, consciously know it, but maybe you'll make three moves as black, defending a certain, <clears throat> a certain three opening moves yep. from white, and it'll lead to the same like losing position four times out of ten, mm-hmm. and you'll realize, okay, the, the problem is this move here. Yeah. That's the thing. You just got to get in and play a lot. Yeah. I, like. I really believe oh, yeah. that. I think the theory comes later. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think you have to know what what pieces do which. The general sort of like don't – like you want to cover your pieces as you move up the board. Like you don't want anything going out there without one or two defenders. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, I think you can learn a lot intuitively. It's like reading. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for anyone that would – like it's their – They've never played chess. They want to get into it. Do you have any tips for that person? Ooh. It's a great question. Um, like, they've never played a game ever? I mean, maybe they've played a couple games when they were a kid, but okay, the they, first, know what, they know what the pieces do. First thing... Yeah, first thing you do is you have to have a, a solid grasp of what the pieces do. If you can't point to a piece and immediately know what it does, yeah. it's hard to play a game. Definitely. So... Learn the pieces. Pawns are easy. They go forward and they take to the <laughs> diagonally. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go through them here. Yeah, I was um, like, this is, is going to be a long one. Um, yeah, I just think learn the pieces first and then I would just go straight into it. Just Lose into games. spectacularly on either lightchess, L-I-C-H-E-S-S dot com or chess dot com. And yeah, don't be afraid to lose spectacularly and you'll improve pretty quick. And the nice mm-hmm. thing is, if you make an account, they'll match you against equally bad and equally novice players. Mm-hmm. And if you're scared to go against players right at the start, they have bots that have, like both have bots that oh. go all different vari- varies of difficulty. Yeah, I still do the bots, actually. Yeah. I like I play bots more often now than I do people because if I'm at work and mm-hmm. I have lunch break and I have half an hour, I like to be able to turn it off. Whenever. Whenever. I like to be able to lose and be like, ah, oh, I have this. I'm, <laughs> you yeah. beat me this time, level three. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, I would recommend trying a bot on level one, mm-hmm. and it's it's also a great marker because if you if in three months down the road you're playing a level three bot, there's in lie chess there's ten levels. Um, I don't know if that's a universal thing. Kind of. Is it lead chess or lie chess? I heard a GM say it was lead chess the other day. Uh, I think it's lead chess, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I would. There's not really a. I wouldn't start by reading a book. I think it's more fun to get a taste for the game. Definitely, first. yeah, I wouldn't recommend that either. I haven't even read a chess book. I've been thi- I've been mm-hmm. I've been thinking about it. I've been, di- I've been considering. Really? Um, like a theory book or like well, like a story of a person and what they did. 
Oh no, I would go theory first. Ah, uh, biography could be fun. Yeah, but I I don't. And eventually, I'm sure I'll eventually want to go into that if I. But I want to learn how to get better. <laughs> like I don't like my primary goal is to improve at chess. My primary goal is not to learn the history of chess. How good do you want to be at chess? Hmm. I don't have a no specifics. No, I don't want to Just get play and get better. I don't want to get too good because then someone like like for you. Yeah. If it's feasible that, despite the fact that I played a lot more, you could get equally good as me relatively quickly yeah. if you decide to play chess. And then as soon as you have a real-life friend who plays at about your level, such that out of 10 games, you're each winning at three three or four, yeah. then it becomes like, wow, this is cool. I yeah. Think. Like, I play current sometimes. We've been playing a few times this week. And we have similar ratings. But I can't even get close to beating him. But which is what I think is interesting about chess is normally the better person does win. I find that's what I love about chess because yeah. when I lose, it's on me. Yeah, it's complete. There's no dice roll. No, there's no wind in the air that, that moves the volleyball. It's like no, I mm-hmm. came in ready. I control my outcome. Yeah, that's definitely a really cool factor. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, that's the most boring part when you get to the highest levels because I don't yeah. want to see the better player win every time mm-hmm. when I'm watching high level chess. So that sucks. But when, when in any level, but the highest, there's enough variability that two similar players can definitely can outdo each other in different. Uh... Although you just sent me a video Carlson versus um, Wesley. So, and so on in yeah. seven games. So one, yeah, that, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Especially because Carlson's so good. Yeah. It was, it's, uh, it doesn't lose often. <laughs> no, he doesn't, but Yeah. High-level chess is pretty crazy because they, you know, it, it, there's no blunders. There's no small mistakes. It's one tiny inaccuracy. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, one inaccuracy for return, for something that happens five moves ahead, and that'll change the game. Which is so rattling. So as a, rattling. as a viewer. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I would recommend, too, one more thing is if you're looking to get into chess, I would recommend a YouTube channel called Agidmator. Wow. What? You like him? No, nah, not that much. Really? Uh, there's a there's a guy popping off these days. What's his name? Gotham Chess. I don't like that. He's the guy who did the analysis. Yeah, you, right? you don't like him. He he whips like he would go through the he would go through the beginning like boom 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 boom. It's like no, I want to see each move. Tell me like announce. Oh. Show me each move and announce which piece moved to what square. Ah, uh, see, he assumes that those are all just normal. He just skips through theory. So why do you like it if you don't know the theory? Because I don't know the theory. Because mm, he's ah, uh, I don't know. It's faster. See, I think Agamator shows what could happen through different things, which is definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. I love that, but it's too slow. Yeah. See, I if I'm often I'll watch on eating. So if like say I have a meal, yeah, twenty minutes is perfect meal time. So I'll put it on with a bowl of popcorn or something, mm-hmm. and watch one like it's a perfect bite size. Whereas, what's his name did seven games in eighteen minutes. Yeah, and it's like that's way too much. It is really I can't fast. get into a game like I. Why do I need to watch a million games when one game has enough intricacy to last mm-hmm. a lifetime? <laughs> I like his excitement, though. Who is? Gotham. Oh, yeah. Egg Matters very yeah. monotone. But yeah, if, you're, if you want to watch chess videos, Agadmater or Agadmater is one. Gotham Chess, another. Hikaru, search him up. Mm-hmm. And there's a few other ones, but those are probably some of the biggest right now. Mm-hmm. And... Chess is also 
booming like crazy right now. Love that. So now's the time to get into chess. Oh, and also, it's the most played game in the world, isn't it? Probably. I, I'm not talking like sport, but I think it's the, I think it's the world's most popular game. You would have to assume, yeah. Um, which is crazy. And yeah. you could in a lot of in a lot of places you can find people playing in the streets still. Mm-hmm. Like most that, places. Which is amazing. Like yeah. I would love to be an old person whose Saturday Sunday was walk to the park. Mm-hmm. Like casually maybe bring a little sandwich or something. Find this like little like you know, some parks would have like a grid of chess boards. Yep. And you just sit down and you play someone. Mm-hmm. It's pretty Im- cool. Imagine the because you might meet people that way. You'd have a great little. I mean, it would be tough because you would never know the your opponent's level. Mm-hmm. So you might sit down with the thirteen hundred if you're a nineteen hundred, and it's like, okay, well, what's the point of this? Yeah, but I mean, those guys that are there often though they know each other mm-hmm. and they set up and whatever. I mean, it's, I know that's popular in New York and lots of Europe. And there's no substitute for a real game. Like the, the no. computer's fun, but it's not like yeah. It's it's cool if you got twenty minutes, mm-hmm. but you, I would want to play real games. I don't get the, the, the opportunity nearly enough. Yeah, there's certain things about the computer version that are fun. Like what? You can. It's easier to think about your moves because it's easier to visualize the board. Yeah, and, I like the above view. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can draw arrows and stuff to try to memorize what if the, what would happen instead of keeping it all in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas on board. I find it a little bit harder just yeah. because you have to visualize everything there and try to think of what, what would happen in your head five turns ahead sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, this is whew, my mind. It, beca- it, it kind of hurts. Like it, it yeah. just gets, it's, that's the stressful part too. Um, you go too many layers deep and you're like. <sighs> but see, I think for me, part of it is I don't actually, in any given moment, I don't know the consequences, but you learn you have little shortcuts in your brain. Like, you know, okay, this position looks familiar. If I go here, yeah. it's not going to turn out well for me. No, yeah, exactly. So it's like learning chess is just a process of learning what not to do. It's like it's like walking over uh, a field with a bunch of traps in it. And you just have to <laughs> avoid the traps and hopefully get far enough where they yeah. make a mistake. <laughs> That's a good analogy, actually. Um, thank you. You learn the patterns. You yeah. learn what... You'll just see some pieces beside each other and be like, all right, well, this means I can do this. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that, which yeah. is pretty cool when you start realizing that you know these things mm-hmm. that you didn't know yesterday. And I remember I used to play, I, when I was young, I played with my grandpa. Yeah. And he would beat me every time. And I hated playing. <laughs> I loved playing with him because I just enjoyed the, the battle. Yeah. But it, he beat me every time. He didn't ever, he never held back. Mm-hmm. And then when I first, and it was always just me, from the very second or third move, I was defending him attacking me. And then when I first, thought ahead and executed an attack that mm-hmm. worked i was like oh my goodness this game is amazing yeah like that was the moment where i was like you can yeah it's just beautiful it's beautiful you're like if i do this and then he does that and then i do this and then he does that mm-hmm. and then i get this piece it's like yeah this feels crazy i'm thinking three turns ahead on not only what i'm doing but what they're doing yeah. and what they should be doing it's it's pretty cool when it all comes together and sometimes I don't even, like, I'll get to a certain position on the board. Yeah. And I won't have gotten there by choice, but I'll recognize that if I do this, then it's a really powerful move. Mm-hmm. And that's equally kind of fun because, like, you can make a million moves. But this particular move is going to, three turns ahead, is going to make the, going to have these consequences. And I didn't engineer that, but I'm realizing it now. Yeah, <laughs> We're yeah. Here definitely. Right definitely. I'm not um, engineering that the whole game. I, I'm not there. Whereas some, yeah, I imagine, I wonder how far ahead Magnus Carlsen would 
engineer a certain end game. Like there's some end games mm-hmm. which are, which are insane. Like he has to maneuver his horse the exact square as he does. Yeah. For like eight turns to eventually get the horse on a certain square, defending a certain square with all of his other pieces exactly where they are. Yep. So the other player is forced to make a certain move. Mm-hmm. Anyways, this is But those guys they know their exact end games. They know hundreds of exact end games. They see, know they know two pawn and a knight versus one pawn and a rook. Mm-hmm. They know every different and what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And so they don't know just forty different openings and forty and twenty of those offense, twenty of those defense. They also know hun- like a hundred end games. Yeah, and there's engines now too, right? Like these guys aren't just playing games to learn what works. They're using engines to figure out what the best line in all these different situations is. Mm-hmm. There's this, the first best line, second best line, third best line. Mm-hmm. And like, there's no reason to just be playing. I mean, there's definitely reason to be playing because you're going to get into situations that you've never been in before. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these, they have crazy brains. But. And I think, and for that, for people like you and me who are competitive by nature, I think you have to turn off your desire to win. Mm-hmm. Or at least scale it down and realize that you're never going to be good yeah. on a world scale. There's just too many people. Never. Same yeah. thing for me. It's like soccer. I enjoy playing soccer casually, even though mm-hmm. when I every time I play, I'm reminded of the hours I should have spent practicing <laughs> passing, kicking, and dribbling, and juggling when I was younger. Yeah, me too. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. you can't... I think people, our personality, the danger is getting more and more focused on the little niches you happen to have already entered in at a young age. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because then those are the ones where you're relatively good compared to the general population. Mm-hmm. But you're never going to be good enough to, for to be a, one of the best, really. Well, most of us are never going to get that way with yeah. anything, no. which is sad, but it's like true. That brings up an interesting question. Would you rather be really good at one thing or a few things mm-hmm. or, you know, decently good at everything or a lot of things, not everything? Yeah. I don't know. I think it would be fun to live your prime mm-hmm. as really good at one thing, but I think to, in today's competitive climate, that the amount of energy and life force it takes to be to ascend to the competitive level at something, yeah, you can't recover in terms of your life experience and your life wisdom. Like, oh. I think I think some of the reason that people think that hockey players are immature today is because they've spent so much of their life consumed by hockey and they're not learning the lessons outside of hockey that people would have learned in the 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. All right, similar question. Would you rather be knowledgeable about a lot of things or quite knowledgeable about a few things? Okay, you're going to answer both these after, right? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll answer this one. I think I... Well, right now, I'm more slightly knowledgeable about a lot of things. Okay. I'm not... Besides Formula One, that might be the only thing I'm really knowledgeable about. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that, I'm not super knowledgeable about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've honestly become more that way where I'm only slightly knowledgeable about a lot of things because mm-hmm. for some reason I like to keep up with every sport and I don't know, lots of different topics that are ongoing. Um, but I, I, the reason for that is just because then you're constantly able to be in conversation, which I don't know, for me is important because I, conversation doesn't come super naturally. So... If I know things, then it's easier to keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. But I, like seeing people that are really knowledgeable about certain subjects definitely makes me like a little, I don't know, envious of that. 
or jealous of that because it'd be just cool to know a lot. Like if you knew a lot about, I don't know, if you're a specialist in any craft, it seems like a cool idea. But I guess that's what people go to school for. But here's what I'll say. I think the reason you want to be a specialist is because you want people's esteem. Like I want to be, say what you want about Jordan Peterson. Mm -hmm. He is an orator, which means he is very effective at giving speeches and lectures. And he's very captivating to listen to, Mm -hmm. regardless of how you feel about his content. I am envious of his level of speaking and his articulation and his ability to captivate people when he's talking. Yeah. I'm only envious of that because of the effect it has on others and the esteem. I want people to feel about me the way they, I feel about him. Mm-hmm. Realistically, though, it's lonely at the top. They say it's the worst to be the smartest person in the room because you can't find fulfilling... Like, the reason for that is because you can't... You're not bettered by interacting with other people. So if, if yeah. you're the third best chess player, you can always play the best chess player and become better. Mm-hmm. Where it's kind of like... No one likes reaching the pinnacle because then you can't improve. Improving is the fun part. Yeah. I, I bet you any money, Carlson would want to go back to when he was learning chess. I bet you his, the life of the fire in his, in his heart for chess mm-hmm. is never as great now as it would have been when he was first learning and being defeated and then defeating that person who defeated him two years later. Oh, I definitely think about that. Like for him, especially like he's been on top for years. Mm-hmm. He's been number one for years and number one without question. Mm-hmm. Um, and how long could you keep that up before you're like, man, I just don't have the drive to stay number one. Yeah. You don't have to prove. Yeah. And the same thing, zoom out a little bit about life. Yeah. Like why do people love their childhood? <laughs> because the rate of improvement is so like the curve is so steep. Yeah. True. People get their, the curve flattens and flattens as you get older. And that's kind of, I, I suspect but I mean, obviously, it's it's more complicated than that because there are pleasures you get. There's different pleasures in every chapter of life. Mm-hmm. But I suspect that people look back so fondly on their young days because there's just so much to learn and improve at. Yeah. And that's why people are always, I suspect, that's why people are always talking about, like, quote unquote, trying new things, like like 40-somethings, 50-somethings, whatever. Yep. They're always going on and on about how the secret to life is to learn something every day, right? I think there's something about learning. Like, there's something about being at the bottom of any given hierarchy of competence yeah. and wanting to ascend. Hmm. Do you think it's like that for everybody? Cause, oh, cause I, I know you really have a passion for learning. Whereas, I'm not sure I have the same want to learn about, I don't know, to learn all the time. Maybe a little bit but not to the same extent. But don't you have that, like, aren't there games that you get super into and what you're doing really is learning, but you haven't, you haven't, you haven't codified that in your mind as learning because it's fun. Yeah. Isn't that, some. isn't that learning? Isn't that a zone of competence? That but you're... I tend to play the games that I don't have to do a lot of learning. Mm-hmm. I will purposely not purchase games that are going to require me to learn a lot because I just don't want to, <laughs> put in the time to learn to be to do it you took up golf recently i did take up golf recently and you're enjoying the challenge of uh, yeah. catching up to other people aren't you well yeah golf is great for different ways though not just the learning aspect like golf is amazing because you're 
outside. It's putting, yeah, it's making you go outside for four to five hours, which is crazy. What else are you doing outside for that long? That's not a job. Um, unless you're on, I don't know, in the summer you're doing stuff, I guess. Yeah. But I was to say river, but, or like beach or any kind of thing like that. Yeah. But it's not just even by yourself. You're, if you've got a cart, you're with someone else the whole time. It's, <laughs> it's forced friendship. Yeah. And, and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of great things about golf besides just learning. And I like learning things physically, like, I don't know, trying new things, trying to do a backflip or something like that. Mm-hmm. I find that fun, but trying to put my mind into an hour of learning how to do something I've never done, a whole different world. I think that's not exclusive to you. I agree that I want to choose a video game. Mm-hmm. I don't want to invest it like even netflix i find i don't want to like oftentimes i won't be in the mood to invest in a new series i'll just watch something i've already watched i'll watch it for the fourth time an episode and what is that it's like there's certain exhaustion yeah that you just don't you can't exceed when it comes to learning something because it's difficult but i think i think you're underselling yourself in terms of your willingness to learn yeah i definitely have a willingness to learn Mm -hmm. i just it's not crazy who do you think is someone who like well, I guess this won't be interesting to an audience, but I'm trying to think like would a Bill Gates character or an Elon Musk could be someone who just has a hunger for knowledge. You'd have to, I think, think so. so, right? Like, but, but Elon, Elon Musk, Musk, go on. No, continue. I don't know. Elon Musk is in so many different, he's got his hands in so many different pockets. He's definitely just got a thirst for like technological advancement. I was going to say, does he really have his hand in that many pockets? I see Elon Musk as being ultra- rational yeah and ultra stem okay with yeah. very little emotional interest or intelligence mm-hmm. and i think a lot of what he's doing is because of his accrued wealth like a, yeah like a lot of these things he a lot of the ventures he's starting now he doesn't actually have a hand in he's just bankrolling it isn't is that not the case i mean definitely he's not he's not an engineer on spacex no and he's not a business person either no he's a brilliant engineer in his own right well he's a business person in a way so well he's created these businesses he's pretty much brought them off the ground yeah it would have been nothing really without him right but is that it was his main contribution to Tesla Mm -hmm. on the business side of things on the economic side of things or is it on the actual development like like technological development side of things Uh, you know I actually don't know neither do I (laughs) I know they were pretty Uh pretty small business before he came in like he didn't, he wasn't the CEO of Tesla at the start. Uh, they had already made one car that was a flop. Maybe I'm underestimating Elon. And then he's got his, what's it called? The boring company. Oh yeah. Like isn't the flamethrower. Yeah. The flamethrower. Is a boring company creation. Yeah. Yeah. But the boring company, they're making, they're trying to make underground tunnels. Mm, where, in LA? Yeah. Like what is it? They're like, I don't know. There's super fast travel underground. Um, through automation and then you know SpaceX and Tesla it's all over the place yeah but part of that is like have you heard of the Pareto distribution no basically the tendency in human society and in nature for the things for the like sort of inertia when you start to succeed you succeed more and more and more and okay, when you start yeah. to fail you like free fall mm-hmm. and it's the same thing right now like a lot of the content 
mo- like 99% of the content that's put on YouTube is has zero views or yeah. something approximating zero. Yeah. And the ones that are, for whatever reason, slightly more interesting get a billion views. Mm-hmm. Not literally, but like millions of views. Yeah. So it's like very – same with wealth. It's the tendency for success in any given realm to be allocated to fewer and fewer people over time. So yeah, I think that's super sad. Yeah, it is. Because like that feels like if you're failing a bit when you're growing up, you're unlikely to succeed, which is probably kind of true. But that brings me to a really sad and scary thing is, isn't so much of what we do trying to not accept our mediocrity? <laughs> oh, yeah, man. You're going to give me some existentialism right here. Well, because well, sometimes I'm in the shower and I just think, oh, my goodness, we're being sold this lie. Mm-hmm. It's not, and you're, everyone thinks, oh, he's going to talk about capitalism, whatever. No, <laughs> we're being sold the lie. I guess it is sort of capitalism. It's that everyone can be great. Yeah. It's just not true. Not everyone can be great. No. Everyone can be great in their own way. Like, like you can, I think <laughs> I learned this from the office. At the end of, like, part of what you learn from the office is everyone in that office is a meaningful part and a contribution to that, yeah. that space yeah. and that social group. But not everyone is equally capable of achieving on any given thing. So, like, there are some people who just get unfair advantages. Like Wayne Gretzky, mm-hmm. unfair. And no amount, I could practice, I could have 3,000 lives as Brayden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and still not not gonna make it there uh, not achieve what he achieved no no way me neither um, and I think that's there's there's that for everything and most people just aren't gonna be really good at most at anything in their life well maybe we have to redefine it a little bit and okay. instead of thinking everyone can be great you know everyone can be content or everyone can be happy and, and just bring it in a different way like maybe you're not gonna be famous <laughs> or rich um, but you can still lead a fulfilling life and everyone could. Oh, I certainly agree with that. But like, I certainly agree that people are, everyone has the opportunity to be happy or content. Yeah. But like I do stand by, I don't think everyone will, a lot of people never find something that they can ascend to the top of. Oh, definitely. I'm never going to find something that I'm going to send to the top. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> <laughs> That's a not a good thing to be confident about. Well, I mean, how hard is it to ascend to the top of something? Pretty well, I hard. think you have to set your expectations. Like, maybe maybe the top is I want to be a really strong interpersonal communicator and I want to be – I want to ascend to some sort of role in which I'm overseeing mm-hmm. – an organization and it doesn't have to be a huge one. Maybe, maybe my definition of like ascending to the top is organizing the boys and girls club for all and I'm or all Vancouver Island or something. Okay. Okay. And, and that, that's like, okay, you've ascended pretty high. Yeah. I think like if you, if you really define it by the top, there's no one, there's no one at the top. Even, even Elon Musk is only ever going to be at the top for a little while. No one stays at the top. Yeah. Um, True. But I, yeah, I don't know. Every, I guess all through my life, I've just had this sort of arrogant idea that I'm going to eventually get to the top of something. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, you know what? Probably not. I probably am not going to get to the top of anything. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good to have that hope when you're growing up. Yeah. Or like that drive to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you realize, you know, you don't have to. Like I... Yeah. I'm, like as a kid, I was like, I'm going to definitely be wealthy. 
I always have loved money. I was great at saving money as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always just been a factor of the things I think about. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I want to be wealthy. And the way to be doing that is for me through being in finance. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm in university now for finance. Mm-hmm. But I can tell by just my feelings about it that I don't have that drive to do something <laughs> that is super, you know, famous in that realm. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be trading stocks on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. But I can still be a financial planner and have a great life, but just be more content with that instead of trying to reach for those crazy dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the ways to financial freedom is to lower your standards enough such that oh, there's so many more jobs available that satisfy your needs. So if you lower yeah. your needs to $1,000 a month, maybe that's not feasible. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm, that's a number I'm throwing out. It's easy to make $1,000 a month. Yeah. Very easy. That's not going to support you. Well, not here. No. So if you lower your needs and go... Okay, I see you mean? Like you can lower your needs saying. almost indefinitely. Yeah. And the lower you can lower your needs, the less you have to output to meet those needs. Yeah. I think people would be really hesitant to do that though. I don't think very... Or once you have... Once your needs are higher, it's harder to bring them back down. Oh, way harder. It's so hard. Doable. Definitely doable. It takes a mindset though. Yeah. I think it takes like an aha moment too. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's much easier. Speaking of careers, do you think everyone has a passion? Like, uh, like a career passion? This is I'm just, in there somewhere. I think I've been the, the most loyal of the B plus listeners. Oh. Well, I've, I've spoken a bit about this, I think oh, a couple okay. of times, but definitely at the risk of repeating myself. I don't think so. I think that's kind of tied into the naive. Remember I was talking about the lie I've been sold. I think also yeah. part of that lie is a, you're going to be great at something and B you're going to be paid for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what percentage people are doing bad jobs? Like, like there are just some jobs that are bad, Yeah. you know, and people have to do them until we automate mm-hmm. our way out of that. Why do you think people can, everyone gets their dream job? Oh, no way. I have been searching for a passion for years. Mm. I don't think, or I haven't found it yet. Maybe I'll find it in the future, but who knows? I, I just haven't found anything that, any job that I'm like, oh man, I would like to do that for the rest of my life. Well, I think that's because that doesn't, like, I don't think that's how, I don't think that's how humans work. And I think that that's, well, why are we told that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think it's because it sounds good and it makes people happy at a young age. Yeah. I mean, it is true a bit for those people that do find something they want, right? You might as well go out and get it. Those people are going to do that anyway. Like, I think that the passion thing works for the people who are like, remember you said certain people are going to be like Magnus Carlsen is a guy who's hyper-focused. He found his quote unquote passion, which is chess. But all that really means is he found something that was compelling enough to him that it absorbed unlimited amounts of his concentration. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's really what, like, I think if, if you had to operationalize the word passion as it's used in the job sphere, I think it's just something that absorbs you. Yeah. Like if something that doesn't, and a lot of like emailing for me doesn't absorb me. Yeah, of course. But parts of my job, like I, I'm doing, I'm assembling my year end numbers for my sales territories and like working in Excel <laughs> with the spreadsheets absorbs me. Time flies. Yeah. When I'm 
Dude, yeah. Excel can be fun, man, when it's, you're figuring out stuff. But you know why? It's because we're both math people. True. And we that's why we're both drawn to chess. That's why we're both <laughs> Excel. That's why we both liked math and physics. Is because yeah. we enjoy like the definite lines. Like there's no ambiguity in no. Excel. Everything is exactly as it should be in yeah. the right place. I always like classes that had definite answers. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, well, this might be reaching, but I feel like you could go to school for anything. Like you could finish school for anything. Finish a degree for anything. When you say you, are you talking about a specific person or are you talking about... You I'm, talking I'm talking you, about you. Me. Specifically. Okay. Do you disagree? For, uh, for the majority of things. There's probably things, some things that are outside of my ability, but I think probably for the majority of programs, I could I could pass them. Mm-hmm. Why do you ask? Because, I don't know, with that, it seems like there must be something that would be the, the passion, right? If you could mm-hmm. go to school for anything. And become and get a career in any job. That just I don't know. I feel like that's where I'm sitting right now. Is like if you could put in the time and and really like me personally, I could put in the time and probably finish any program if I could get into the program. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And is there anything out there? Hmm. It's a tough question. Very, very good question, actually. And now you make me wonder, why didn't I reverse engineer my schooling? Yeah. Like, part of me... Yeah, but I mean, just because you could just because you could potentially get into law school or med school or whatever doesn't mean you'd want to enjoy that. It doesn't, mean, you enjoy the, the, doesn't mean you'd enjoy the result either. Yeah. And I think that one of the problems is we don't know. Like, if you could spend... Did we talk... 100%. Yeah. If you could, two weeks, yeah. Yeah, if you could spend time... At the jobs you know, and you could just okay, I like this job the best. I'm going to go into that route, and I'll get there eventually. If anything, I, I kind of wish I broadened the things I did in high school and first year university. Just take a bunch of courses mm. because I don't know. We took career planning in grade ten, mm. right? Or planning in grade ten, and useless. You're starting to <laughs> yeah, but like the first things are popping into your mind of what you might do. Yeah. That's when you're first really getting a r- real idea. and It's so abstract even then. It is completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, yeah. My results had like model and actor and astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I love how actor is in those. there. No, you can't. But at my, all. My results were midwife. <laughs> I would always get writer number one because okay. I romanticized that from a young age. So, yeah. you know, I was, I was, mo- I was. Yeah, um, that's the thing. You're answering I was questions. writing the answers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, writer was one, then midwife, then like three or four things mm-hmm. totally like, I don't think many people aspire to be a midwife. You no, don't need like, well, how much training do you really need? You can, you can reach the pinnacle of midwifery probably pretty quick. <laughs> like how, <laughs> probably, much, yeah. how much knowledge could there really be? There's probably some crazy high end school for midwifery. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, you're just the master. Yeah. For yeah. like the highest tier rich people. Anyway, um, I don't know where I was going with it. Anyway, career planning. You wish you could broaden. You wish you could broaden what you took in later high school, early university. Yeah, like both of us, we mainly did our, all sciences, right? Uh, it's funny. You didn't. I made a decision. Okay. And I took grade ten science. Hated chemistry. Liked physics. Yeah. Hated chemistry. Was bored by biology. Yeah. So I didn't take them at all in high school in grade eleven or twelve. Yeah. I took one science, mm-hmm. and I never took any sciences in university. Yeah. I regret it. Like crazy. Huh. See, that's the thing. I wish I took less sciences. 
because I don't know. And I, f- I just feel like if I could recommend anything to anyone in high school would be to take all the classes you didn't even think you would be interested in. Like I wish I took a mechanics class. I wish I took a wood shop class, mm-hmm. you know, just to have more of a, instead of taking bio 12, which what the heck is that going to ever do for me? Or like, I didn't know at the time that I, it wouldn't become useful in my future, but I don't know, just broaden them all. Instead of doing all six sciences, do a couple mixed things in there. Take a finance class or marketing class or IT. I don't know. Interesting. I, part of me thinks, part of me likes that, but part of me is also like, I knew, like I took Woodshop in my little career, like in grade eight, you had, yeah. you had a little two weeks of each thing and Woodshop stressed me out like crazy. Yeah, I hated Woodshop. And I think our, I think, how can you expect your, your young self to be wise enough to take that, you even can. though you had experience with Woodshop and didn't like it? Yeah. No, you can't. Um, That's why I can't regret not doing it. There's no, no way I would have. No, but uh, you're, not a per- you're not a perfect person and people no. are unwise when they're young. It's the same thing with your family relations. Like you look back at yourself and you think, holy, I was such a little bleep hole. <laughs> <laughs> Asshole. Yeah. Um, but you can't have changed it. You didn't have your brain out. All the mistakes you made. Of course. Yeah. That's not an excuse to make more mistakes. Mm-hmm. You have to act. You always have to act your best, but you can't blame yourself really for looking back. Yeah. But it's hard to know those things that you're like. I'll look back and be happy I did this. Or I guess maybe it's not. Because the things I feel like I look back upon and I'm happy I did. Will those change in 10 years? Like the types of things? Like the things I'm happy about these days are like experiences. I'm happy I went on pretty much any experience I did. Like traveled anywhere. Went partying even. Mm. I'm just happy with those experiences and I'm happy with yeah, mostly that. <laughs> mm. I think I don't do enough of it. That's because it's the same sort of thing as you for learning. But I like sometimes I'll like look ahead to a day mm-hmm. and I'll be like, oh, do I want to go? Like Sasha and I'll be hanging out. Yeah. It'll be our date day. Do I think, do we want it? Do I want to drive to Coombs and walk around Coombs and explore, have fun, then drive home? That sounds like a lot of work. Or we could go for a walk around here and come home and watch Netflix. Mm-hmm. Right. And. I mean, maybe it's not always as boring as watching Netflix, but watching a few of your favorite TV shows, which you know is zero exertion you're going to like, is pretty damn tempting. Oh, definitely. And I think I choose the lesser of the experiences too often. She's good at that naturally. She's always naturally hungering for experience and adventure, which is good for me because it pulls me out of my routine-based tendencies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't... I definitely didn't used to be naturally inclined to look for that stuff, but just from seeing that I'm happy that I did those things is changing my mind and making me want to do that more want to go out of my way to do something new do you look back fondly on the trips we took to the Victoria casinos oh of course me too like that of was course. I no. lost 160 bucks one day <laughs> and I'll still look back <laughs> who on cares it fondly, right it's right? like yeah it was fun I, I look back at like casinos are some of my fun memories like yeah. a lot of my fun memories came from at first, going with you guys, with Trev, mm-hmm. Matt, you know, like you and Brendan, Dan, Liam. I'm, I hope I'm not missing anyone like super important there. But there's tons of people. Like, but yeah. like those are the people who I often went with. And then to my own going in the casino in Calgary and stuff and ascending the buy-in levels of the poker tables. Yeah. It's like 
yeah, it's just I would never, I wouldn't trade that at all. No. And even like on the days where I was stayed there all night, nine hours, and like didn't get a good sleep, was pissed. I, there's, I was pissed in the moment that I did that. Looking back is awesome though. Yeah. And that's partly because you learn a lot in the experience. That's funny because I was downtown driving by the casino with a friend a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And we were like, man, the casino was always fun. Yeah. Like it was always a ride. I and mean, if we were there super drunk on a Saturday night, fun. If we were there midday just for lunch mm-hmm. and a couple games, still great. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. If you if, Even if you lose... As long as you're there with people and you have something to do before and after and it's just an event. Like if you yeah. go there just to play and you lose 40 bucks like instantly, it's like, Feels okay, bad. it's not so fun. Yeah. Yeah. I like it when you can build – I like anything when you can – I think my main motivation is people. So mm-hmm. I like anything you can build into an extended experience with others. Yeah. So every day is a perfect example. But every day is a perfect example. But, but okay, perfect. tell me this. Don't you think that the day is enhanced by meeting up beforehand, driving there together, driving yeah. home together, and then for me, when anyone is expressing boredom, desire to leave, expressing any signal from others that they're not living in the moment with you, mm-hmm. detracts from my experience. That's one of the reasons why I have a really hard time having people over at my own house is because I feel like I have to provide. If anyone's bored in any way, it feels like, oh man, this sucks. I'm messing up, you know? Yeah. Hmm. But I do agree that attaching the driving together, putting that all together makes it for a way better experience. Yeah. I used, when I was younger, especially I used to never want things to end. Like I remember I would cry when sleepovers ended the next yeah. day. Like I would, I would never want to go to sleep with sleepovers because I knew when you woke up, it was part, it was the beginning of the end. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think even the choice of the people I'm around are, is increasingly morphing to the ones who I show me with their face, show me with their attention, show mm-hmm. me with not bringing up their next plans that they're in, in the exact moment. Yeah. You know? Hmm. Yeah. And, I'm definitely one of the first people to leave often. So why? I just run out of energy for situations mm-hmm. because, and like, I enjoy being at home by myself a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know if I'm feel like I'm or it's never really by myself that's the thing I'm at home I'm in a call with my friends mm. um, so if I'm in a situation where I'm you know I was having fun we've been doing this for a few hours and then I'm like oh, you know I might have just as much fun or more fun about if I was at home I, f- I will often take that choice just because I run out of energy to be in a group talking for a long time I don't as much. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's probably evident in my social behaviors, but I definitely feel that. And I'm learning because I think grow- I, I think I've tended to be an over social exerter. So mm-hmm. I'll overstay my own fun and then I'll go home thinking I'm exhausted now. Okay. Yeah. Because I do have fun. Like when I'm, I love a good, after a busy week, I love a good Sunday where you just don't roll out of bed until like two o'clock. Yeah. And you're just alone. You have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely have a higher tolerance for, than you for social stimulation. Mm-hmm, and I crave it. Like I crave conversation. Yeah. Yeah, you're a conversationalist. You're just always in there. And you, it's because you're great at keeping like good conversation. What's that? Um, 
not just fluff. It's easy to have a conversation about things two people know about or things, you know, t- usual co- topics of conversation. Mm-hmm. But you're good at bringing the next level or getting a little bit more deep in the conversation, asking questions about things that other people wouldn't ask questions about, finding those places where a conversation could become more meaningful. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. One thing, it's funny you should say, but one thing I'm learning is it's not always the time for those conversations. Oh, definitely. And that's where I'm trying to, like, I, I went too far. Yeah. And where people were like, may, I, I imagine people probably sometimes, like, I don't really want to go hang out with Brayden right now because I have, like, 60% energy. Yeah. He's going to demand 90%. Yeah, that's definitely a factor. And that's okay. Uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm not offended by that, but maybe I'll scale it back so people can be confident that I'll only ask it when they can get it. It's yeah. part of that, like, intelligence, that, like, emotional intelligence, seeing what kind of conversation somebody wants to have and being able to do that. Yeah. I find that really hard to do. Like, I can be on that fluff conversation mm-hmm. or I could, you know, I can see that someone, there's an opportunity to have a conversation that goes a little deeper, but to making that jump, impossible for me. I cannot find the questions at the right times, uh. you know? It's a delicate because you have to signal that you're. It's like almost like a consent thing. It's yeah. like you kind of ask a, a question where it has the potential to go deeper, and you see what their response would be. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so difficult, and that's a classic thing where it's intuitive too. Mm-hmm. It's like reading or chess or things where it's, you never you never went to school for just reading cues, but it's like your whole life has been school for reading cues. Yeah, and then there's I also think I'm too differential in conversation like are you into no like sometimes even like people you can probably i don't know like sometimes if someone feels like talking yeah i don't talk much i sort of don't assert myself that's a good thing no yeah but sometimes like i think sometimes i get caught up in this idea of every conversation is a as a play or a field an opportunity to be liked, right? So if I have okay, a conversation yeah. with you and I can tell that you want to talk about something that's like not at all my interests. Yeah. Usually I'll let it, unless I'm super close to you, I can be like, no, I'll let it play out. <laughs> Whereas well, some yeah. people aren't like that. And it's at your own expense. If I let a con- if I listen to someone for 20 minutes, talk about a problem or a thing, something that I have no interest in. Yeah. You gotta be, you, you can only do that so often before you start sacrificing, you wear yourself out. Oh man, I am a conversation dodger. When it comes to those, <laughs> what do you mean? If someone brings up something that I have absolutely no interest in and not really in the mood to learn about, I am quick to find a way to change the subject or dodge the conversation, which mm. I, I think it's negative for me. Like I often come across as, uh, it seems like not very nice because I'm, I don't know, I'm too harsh with it mm-hmm. where I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You just don't care. Yeah. I just don't care. But it's hard to change that because I don't care. Mm-hmm. So then I have to force myself to care. But then it's just, uh, it's a lie to yourself. And that's the thing. And it's when you, I'm, I'm moving away from always being the person who's like, I'll listen and agree. Yeah. Especially you can, I can tell pretty quick when someone wants me to listen and agree. And I do it Whereas I'm trying to be the person, even like when you're at a table and someone tells a joke that you find offensive or don't like. Yeah. I'm a laugher. 
Yeah. I love a good fake laugh. About I'm getting joke. better at that. I'm getting better at that. Well, it takes courage to yeah. be either the only one or to be the first one yeah. to not laugh and to be stone-faced and to watch the person who told the joke look at you, hoping, expecting a laugh, expecting affirmation that their joke is funny and you don't give it to them. Oh, no. That is, it takes courage. It does. Yeah. I mean, there's certain people that are laughers and if you're tossing a joke at you, joke out you're looking at them first you're like hopefully that gets them going yeah you know i love a good laugher though <laughs> you have to love a good laugh yeah and but the thing is sometimes it, the good laughers are great because they're just fun and they enjoy like people Often, who laugh yeah. a lot take a lot of pleasure in things yeah which is great i aspire to that i aspire to that for sure like even if i know you know that laugh wasn't real because i'm great friends with this person mm. whatever mm-hmm. you know they're making the moment more enjoyable for everyone possibly Including themselves. Including themselves. And that's where I'm sort of starting to feel that way with Sasha. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to learn that with Sasha too. I think a lot of, I think if you ask a lot of married couples, what's like, I bet you laughing at their jokes and pretending to be interested in their interests probably goes pretty high in the things you should be doing. Yeah. Because I think just there's just going to be no person who has all your same interests and is compatible with your values. Mm-hmm. So I think that is probably a lot of sacrifice in terms of what the conversation is and giving them some laughs at some of their jokes if yeah. they're not funny. Okay, I agree. But I, at first, the reason I say that, I mean, that's not, the reason I say that is because at first, I was very much like, no, I'm only going to laugh. I'm comfortable <laughs> with you. I'm not going to fake it. I'm going to be yeah. myself all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a little fake here and there. Sasha, if you're listening to this, I never once have faked a laugh. No, Brayden doesn't fake laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, wasn't fake right there. Oh, no. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder... Sometimes I want, like, I hear myself laughing. I think, did I fake that laugh? You don't know. <laughs> Sometimes you don't know. I'll, I'll just think, okay, was that just like 20% funny or was that just a fake laugh? I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, yeah, I was probably just in the mood to laugh. I was set up mm-hmm. and I was ready to laugh and no matter what came out. Yes. You know? Yeah. I find actually one of the most stressful times for me is when someone's gearing up to tell a joke. Oh, yeah. Because I'm like, oh, shoot. Now I'm pressured because if I don't find it funny, yeah. what's going to happen? It's even more like that when it's someone who doesn't often t- tell a joke i find True. so if it's someone who doesn't often tell a joke and they're telling a joke i'm like oh here we please be great yeah please be good yeah don't make me don't make me yeah. force it out because yeah. if you don't laugh it's like it could kill their confidence for six months oh, yeah. yeah same as present if opening a present and waiting oh, waiting to hear thing. a joke with a long setup is the exact yeah. same thing if they're watching they're looking they're excited and either, your, your job is either to love it yeah. Or to crush their dreams. <laughs> There's no in between. <laughs> just open a present stone cold. I didn't want this. Oh, it's so hard. And sometimes, sometimes I try to fake it and I'm not that good. And I wonder how aware is this person? And do they really, can they see that I don't love it? Or, That's the thing. You still have to try to fake it, right? Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. Like, there's no point in not faking it. If you're faking it, there's a chance they'll believe. And you, you know, it's polite. Mm. Whereas if you are really like, man, I didn't want this. That's just rude. Right? Totally rude. And a lot of, there's a lot of nuance. And the more I'm thinking about it, the more, because people don't part, you could look at the process of growing up as the process of learning when to fake things. Yeah. Like as a kid, you just don't fake anything. No. And then you slowly restrict yourself. Mm-hmm. to being totally free in less and less scenarios which is why so many people love to be in their own home because you can be totally free yeah I mean there's so many so- social norms to just be aware of <sighs> as you grow older you realize so much more mm-hmm. and how important having the social intelligence is mm-hmm. like that 
is one of the most important things in life, I think, is just knowing what to say when and what, you know, how to go about talking to people and act socially. And even when to bring a bottle of wine to a dinner, when to, how many times to offer something, when to accept an offer. Mm -hmm. Like so many times someone will offer me something. I'll think, I do want that, but... Oh yeah, you got to know the times. What am I giving up by <laughs> accepting that? What are they giving up? Yeah. What are they expecting me to say? Like, oh, you, but the thing is, you can be too much that way. Oh, have we talked about we talked about game theory, right? Uh, I don't know game theory. You seem like someone who'd be interested in game theory. Possibly. Do you? I'm I'm maybe wrong, but there's there's some aspect of game theory where it's like you can be operating on levels. So level one is I'm looking at you and observing what you're saying and looking at me yep. level two is i'm looking at you understanding what you're saying and i'm also thinking about what you're thinking when you're saying it yep. and level three is i'm thinking about what you're thinking about what i'm thinking when you're saying it. like it's back you know you know this like it's ad nauseum yeah. right yeah 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 and you could be on level five like i'm looking at you and i'm wondering what you're wondering what i'm wondering right oh. and it's impossible to follow that I, i'm not trying to ask you to like stay with me i see what you're saying though like you break up your social interactions into a game in your head or like yeah. a theory of levels of what levels you're at or yeah. anything like that. And you can do that with anything in life. I see what you're saying. So I may, someone might be saying, hey, do you want a chocolate bar? Yeah. And they might be saying, hey, do you want a chocolate bar? Like they literally don't care if I say yes or no. They yeah. just want to be nice. And I'm thinking, do they want me to say yes? Do they ask me because they want me to say no, but they think it will curry favor because they've offered? Yeah. Or do you know, like it's just, you can go unlimited. Yeah, and, um, and they might be, yeah, that you don't know why they're asking. Yeah, all the time. But I think you get, I think you get a good sense of people. You get a good sense of people when you get to know them, yep. what level they're operating at, and the more you get to know someone, the, the more incentive there is for that person to operate at a lower level around you. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can p- be pretty sure that your husband of twenty years isn't like there's less and less motivation for him to operate in a higher level. And that's a great thing about getting to know people. Yeah. You don't have to worry about what you say as much. You just are who you are. But then that's also the reason why some couples end. Because yeah. there's like, you have no reason to operate. Like, because level one, it can be pretty shitty when he's in his running shoes and his sweatpants. I think. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Crazy Stupid Love? Uh, man, I don't know. Anyways. I don't think so. The first scene, this couple's at dinner and he's like, it's showing all the feet. Yeah, everyone like it's his fancy place and yeah. everyone's in heels and dress shoes and then it zooms to him and he's got some pants and, and Nikes on like not cool Nikes <laughs> yeah like. yeah I know what you mean yeah <laughs> why is it always men are mostly men who seem to like let things go quicker huh. like you see like you see couples right and so often you think oh he, she's sort of his league but it probably wasn't that way when they got together yeah I don't know there's just that less care for maybe it's a less care of what other people think. I think that's possible for guys having more than that, especially once they've secured a woman. I think women would report that they do these things for their husband. And I genuinely think that's true. Like I believe them. Yeah. Like I think a lot of women will put on makeup or will get dressed in a nice way to go on a date with their husband because they want to look pretty for their husband. Yeah. And I think men are kind of like, oh, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of in a way that's 
it's not a good thing. It's not like, oh, I don't care what you think. I'm like, good for me. I'm courageous. Right. It's yeah. like, I don't care if you find me attractive right now. That's not a good thing. Well, I don't think. I don't think so either. Yeah. Because it's like, I want, <clears throat> I don't want, I want to make myself as attractive to, to be around as possible. For them. Yeah. Like it's my, I want to know my partner to be attractive, which is a weird way to think about it, but I think it's true. I think I'll always be that, like that though. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine myself letting go like that. So it's, it's hard to put my mind in the perspective of doing that. I also wonder though, <clears> like <throat> maybe part of it is once you procreate it. Yeah. Like once, Cause like realistically a lot of displays, like even mating displays, they're just yeah. that they're displays of your, um, status. Yeah. To attract a mate. But the end, the, the absolute end goal is to procreate. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we don't understand what it's going to be like when we're finished our goal. Like our biological goal is complete. Yeah. Well, think about a lot of seniors, I guess, probably don't care about what a lot of other people think. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just different people have different points in which they reach that point. Like some people, it's when they have their kids and their wife and their job and they feel secure. They know where their life's going. Maybe they don't care about what they look like as much anymore. Or yeah. What people think of what they're doing. And for some people, like I see seniors at the pool that definitely still care a lot about what they're wearing when they arrive and what they're wearing in the pool and what they, you know, hmm. what they appear like to other people. Mm-hmm. So some people never lose it, but, you know, different people just have that at different points. Yeah, I like that. And you kind of made it sound like a good thing there. Because I do like, like, I like the sound of someone who has their spouse. Yeah. Has their kids, has their job, and doesn't, like, there's no actual practical good coming out of dressing up in a nicer way. Yeah, but the negative side would be, like, if you don't care what other people think, maybe you're not caring what your wife thinks. Maybe mm. you're not caring what your kids think. Yeah, it's true. Maybe you're not caring what your coworkers think, and you still want to be a, a good person. Mm-hmm. And, like, for all those people around you. I kind of think that way when I don't, like, right now I have, you can't see it, people, but mm. I have some scruffy facial hair. Looking and I let, good. Pardon me? Looking good. Thanks. <laughs> and I let my hair grow longer than I like. And it's like, you can look at the back. Yeah. It's kind of crazy down there. It's like not kempt. And part of me is like, yeah, dude, good for you. You don't, like, you don't care. Like, you're going to go into the world and you're not going to be self-conscious about it. And part of me is like, I'll bet you a lot of older men who were trained to shave every day and who kept up and were disciplined for 50 years shaving every day would look at me and think, dude, you can't even... Keep on top of your shaving. You're 23. Like you got no discipline, and mm-hmm. they'd be right. Like part part of that would be right. Maybe it's not the ultimate truth, but they would have a point. Like I'm too lazy. The only reason I don't shave every day is because I'm lazy. Yeah, same. I mean, I just don't care. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to look at it and see if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Because those <clears throat> surfer dudes that are you know, they don't care. Maybe they do, but I think the stereotype is they don't care what they look like. Mm-hmm. They don't care what they're doing. They're living in the ran, whatever. You know, I'm not going to look down upon them and think, you know, that it's bad. Well, I mean, the, like the people I'm thinking of, the conservative older uh, okay. couple or older, like the, the conservative seniors would probably look down on them and say, yeah, oh, I you think, think probably would. But then again, you could say, okay, well, if we were all surfers, where would we be? You know? Yeah, it seems great. 
Well, it does kind of, but we also wouldn't have a lot of the medicine. We, like you can't just say, okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> surfer. Like it's it's always like it's almost like we need every need all types. Yeah, and that's a, that's in, in, here's the thing when when we have these conversations or when anyone has these conversations, you end up at a cliche, and that's the funny part because yeah. people have ended up here. People have ended up at the the quote we need all types billions of times throughout human history. Yeah, which is why it becomes a cliche. <laughs> I find, I'm so frustrated because it's like, I wish I could have just accepted the cliches when I first heard them <laughs> and saved myself all the, <laughs> all the struggle. <laughs> That's honestly like part of the problem for me though, is like the we need all types because I almost don't see people as being their specific types. Like when they get their careers or how they go about their lives, they end up in different types, mm-hmm. but they weren't born that way. Lots of people were born similar and end up in completely different sides of the spectrum and it's like i don't know that's where i struggle with being like which path should you really choose and i guess there's no correct answer mm-hmm. but it's, it's just a it's a tough question to ever answer i remember when i first started broadview yeah i was like because it's a sales job it's i have to keep a lot of i got to organize myself and i have to contact everyone who's teaching at every school in my territory once twice a year at minimum Mm-hmm. And it's like trying to keep data records is super complicated. Yeah. Well, not complicated, but it's just time consuming and there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I kept asking all my coworkers how they did it, trying to find the quote unquote best way. And it's like, there's no absolute best way. No. But I'm the kind of person like you. It's like, you want to solve, solve for X. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's got to be a route here. But I disagree with you, I think. Because it sounds like you're saying, like, it, like babies. Yeah. You can take almost any baby and put them on a path and they'll, they'll like follow that path. I don't think that far, but for a lot of paths, I think, yes, maybe not the ends of the spectrums. Certain artistic types are going to be artists and they're not going to be <clears throat> financial planners. I don't know. Like, don't just you, an example. Don't you think someone, I think people can be born with like, probably Magnus Carlsen was born with an incredible analytic brain. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't chess. Maybe it ended up, maybe if he, if chess didn't exist and it was checkers, that was like the premier human sport. Or uh, okay. He would have played checkers and he would have been chess, checkers master. Yeah. But it was never going to be a plumber because <laughs> that's not his competence. And that's not what he would rise to the top of. I, I think that people, like if you were born with creativity, as you say, you might be a painter in a different life. You might be a, a sketch artist. You might be a comic strip designer. You might be a sculptor. Mm-hmm. But you're going to be in that sphere. I think that sort of, same with people, introvert and extrovert. If you're born introvert, you're not going to be a business person. See, this is where things get different between our beliefs because I don't think all of the, those different people you mentioned or babies that you mentioned born are that different at the start. I think what they grow up, how they grow up, had a huge factor. Magnus Carlsen probably started playing chess when he was three years old. And he's not going to be a plumber because he started playing chess when he was three and devoted his life to doing that. If I bet you could take thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people and put them in his place and they could exceed to maybe not number one, but that's similar status. Sure. That's hundreds of thousands of people who are probably very genetically similar. And that's okay, hundreds okay. of thousands of people. I'm out proving of, you right here. <laughs> out of 7 billion. Yeah, you're right. Oh man. Um, I don't know. I, I do think, People are born decently similar, though. And oh, there isn't that much. Like, there's differences, but I think their opportunities and their life has more of a factor in my mind. Oh, see, that's the 
That's the classic nature versus nurture. It's the classic. And, and there's no way to know because there's no control. Yeah. You can't do a control. Well, there, there's, you heard about the twin studies. There are some sketchy twin studies. And also there's not, that's not a good control as you'd want. No. But yeah, I don't know. Like you, like, what about like a litter of puppies? Pele and I talk about this. Like you, okay. right away, right out of the mom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I was going to be, I don't know why I was going to say specifically. Um, as soon as they're born. Yeah. Okay. You see personality differences like crazy. And it's not like I told puppy X, you're going to be a floppy, affectionate puppy. And puppy Y, you're going to be a dick to your humans one day. All right. You're completely right. Well, I, I, no, you, you are. I, I just mean like, I don't know. I, I think I hadn't put enough thought about it into it. But seeing like now that I'm imagining all the different animals, animals end up differently with the same opportunities all yeah. the time. But it's a, it's a bit of both. I was going to say, but the thing is, a lot of it is habit. Yeah. And it's so funny. I think that the values your parents give you are so huge too. Yeah, definitely. Like if, like if you're raised in a religious home, you're more likely to try and search for like your religious, the Christian religion erects a framework of right and wrong very yeah. early. And it's all, everything's definite. There's always answers. Yeah. And then you get used to answers. And you get used to like, okay, well, there's an answer for everything. I just got to find it. Then I'll get, I'll get an A plus or then I'll get a, a good pat on the back or something. Okay. Or is it you're born and like if your parent's an artist, an atheistic artist mm-hmm. who believes thoroughly in the Big Bang and like everything, it has some sort of theory of chaos. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's not going to be any rules. There's not going to be anything. And you're going to learn this life is navigated by rulemaking. This life is navigated by doing everything possible without dying. Like every, exploring every possible boundary without dying. Yeah. Hmm. That's a weird way to put it, I think, but. I see where you're going. I, I don't think this question might be reaching, but do you think there's a better way to do it? Which uh, do you think either is better? I you don't have to answer that. No, dude, I love it. I love okay, this. Okay. Like this is, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think, I believe that moderation is probably the best way to do it. And yeah. that's why my answer to your original question of would I want to be expert at one thing or good at a lot of things, I would mm-hmm. choose good at a lot of things. But the question is where does that moderation lie? I think you have to – and here, people – subject. this is subject to my 23-year-old pitfalls, and I'm sure I'll, I'll reevaluate. But I think we have to err on the side of – answers and rules and discipline okay and restrict more than our current society likes to restrict children and i think that into educate i tie that i cannot you can respond to that before i go on hmm. I, i'm sure you expect that answer from me <laughs> i wasn't sure really mm. but that answer makes sense for you what do you think i don't know i was thinking before you started answering that i liked the idea of more open and more chances to explore whatever um, you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm now realizing I was, I went to an elementary school that that is what it stands for. I went to Montessori school from preschool till grade four. And that's what we did. You did whatever, or you didn't do whatever you wanted, but like you had a lot of free will to choose the things you were learning mm-hmm. and to choose the things you were doing. But I also came out of that thinking I didn't really like that. So I don't know. Now I'm now I'm drawn from all over the place. I don't know what to think. How did I not know this? I think, well, you knew I went to that, to Montessori. The thing is, I forgot. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> and did you have do you have many memories? Uh, no. Oh, I have shit. really bad memories of it from my childhood, like not a lot of them. I was going to say, we could do a whole episode. Like, we, I find that so fascinating. And part of me thinks that is the right way. Like, part of me thinks the best way to be is to realize that failing is like one thing you learn from rules and mm-hmm. tests and right answers is you get kind of nervous to be wrong. Like you just want to be right the first time because yeah. you know there is a right. And so then you develop slowly an aversion to doing things where there's a degree of risk involved so that it's likely you won't get the right answer for a while. Okay. But if you don't think about life in terms of right answers, you just do where your concentration and your interest take you. And eventually you kind of come to a place where you think I've mastered this. Yeah. And you think of it as I've mastered this, but the other person thinks of it as the right answer. Hmm. So I think, I think the Montessori school fosters more creativity. Definitely. Which I love. So part of me would almost go that way now. (laughs) You're pulling me all over the place. It's like the beliefs are that this will foster those kind of ideas, but I don't think that they, it works completely like that. Like as a child, you're, if you really were doing whatever you wanted, you'd not do the things you didn't like and you'd not learn a lot. And I don't know. I just felt like I missed a lot of opportunities from going to that school. Huh? I don't know. Well, I think you you have to have boundaries. So like one of the things about chess, it's so great because it's, there's so many, there's so much freedom inside the game, but there's Mm -hmm. boundaries in the game. And I think for kids, you have to set some limits. You can't just have, okay, Timmy loves that dirt pit over there. He's just going to, like, he gets his, <laughs> he's clocking in, he's heading that dirt pit, oh, and then he's clocking out at 3 yeah. p.m. You know okay, I mean? yeah, that can't be that. It can't be that. Because, I mean, so, so many kids we knew growing up were like that. Like, I was never mm-hmm. like that as a kid. But there was tons of boys who we just love playing. Yeah. Physically. And mm-hmm. I think those are the people who ended up being super into carpentry or super into metalwork or super into things like that. Mm-hmm. so maybe there was some merit in like letting them just play physically I don't know I mean I don't know the answer but I think there it has to be some boundaries in terms of content did you like tests did you like having tests in school yeah I think if I'm honest See, me too they're stressful but it was fun I really liked tests okay why I'd way rather just do a test than have to do any work I just I don't know I don't know. I just always have really liked tests because I can just show up, boom, done, gone, mm. and just whatever. And uh, it was always bug me in high school that things were moving away from tests. Like everything was moving away from tests. You oh, well, that's, I mean? that's part of the educational zeitgeist, I think. Like part of, part of right now in education, the trends are don't test students, don't give them grades, let them play and work together. Yeah. So it's going more towards that side. You're right. And it bothered me when I was in school but I don't know now seeing I think it's just anecdotal that it that I like tests I think most people didn't right most people probably didn't perform on tests and felt like it wasn't fair and then school's moving more towards not standardized testing and more um general I don't know just learning through social and and classwork. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I I kind of, you know, as I've grown up and moved out of school and met with a lot of domains in which I'm not that competent, I feel for the people who 
happen to not be competent in the whole learn, yeah. memorize, and test. Because exactly. that sucks. Because if you're not if you're not competent in that, that's a lot of your childhood. And it would suck to be continually pushed down mm-hmm. in people's in the parents and the and the teachers' view because you were consistently failing at these standard measures of well, well that's the thing. I don't feel like I'm confident or competent in almost anything I did in high school. But I would just study <laughs> the day before. So maybe that shows that tests weren't very good because I would just study the day before and do and do really well on tests. Well, that's probably a testament to you, your ability more than like you probably weren't being challenged. Yeah, but if there was an assignment or something or group assignment, whew, that was the hardest thing ever because I feel like to write assignments, you have to actually be confident, competent in what's going on instead of just knowing the answers. Oh, I, I, I firmly believe writing is key. Yeah, I think in terms of I think synthesizing something in your own vocabulary, because you your vocabulary like if you read something mm-hmm. and every fourth word is something you don't understand, how are you going to understand the concept? Yeah, right. Yeah. So like I think you have to, and you can only you only know something if you can put it if you can explain it in your own vocabulary. I think that's what writing makes you do. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder. I think the reason you and I don't here, I'll, I'll put a hypothesis. You can tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. The reason that we find assignments stressful as opposed to tests is because you can spend an unlimited amount of time on an assignment. Exactly. And we both want perfection. So we know that if you give me a paper, I could spend 10, 20, 30 hours on it. Yeah. I'll never stop because it's never good enough. Whereas a test, you're like pens, pens down, papers in. Yeah. It's one hour and a half. Everyone spends the same amount of time and you can walk away happy. Yeah, tests are great. You're making me love tests even more. Yeah. Now that I have assignments due right now, I'm yeah. like, oh man, doing a, doing a test instead of these assignments would just be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And you you have a, a fixed study time, right? And then you have a fixed write time. So it's yeah. all fixed. It's Yeah. I do love a schedule. In life and in school. Oh, yeah. I like a schedule too, but too much almost. Yeah, I have to keep a schedule now because school is a stress. Mm. Some people, some people say that they went through school, mm-hmm. and as they like got into third and fourth years, they got better organizationally. I never had that. I was a procrastinator to the very end. Oh, I'm definitely still a procrastinator. Okay, but I'm way better organizationally mm. just by keeping. I don't know. I look every day about what's going to be due that day, the next day, the next day. Wow. Good for you. Right. Well, it's, I mean, it's easy. It's right above my computer. So I can just look. I just, once a month, I would put all my dates of when things are due right on my whiteboard. And then, and then I'd be able to easily look up at it. So I don't know. I've got better organization, but procrastination is an impossible thing to do, mm-hmm. not do. Yeah. Like serious, like props to anyone who, does assignments throughout their semester. And I, do you think they exist? I, I know that, or I know Brennan says in nursing, there's people like that. I think they're, from what I've seen, women tend to be more like that. I think so too, probably. Like even when I think of like, I'm going to call some people out. No, I'm not. Um, I think there's some, like when I think back to elementary or high school, or even university. Yeah. F- girls are more likely to have a, a well-kept organized planner. Yeah. And then we're likely to be on top of things ahead of time and the ones to tell you to get your stuff done for an assignment. 
Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. But I think on the whole, it's pretty easy to procrastinate. I just don't, I, I wonder what it's like to be in the head of someone who can make themselves work on something when it's not necessary. Well, do you know what I've seen is that those people are some of the most stressed people often. That's why they have to. It's like their their stress forces them to be doing it all the time. Oh, so because they, they're so stressed about having that project due eventually that they should be working on it now. That And they sh- like they're stressed about their grades. They're stressed about you know their assignments, so they have to do them right away. Genius. Yeah. He's just, he's just, I mean, genius in a way, but they're No, you're often, genius. Your observation well, is genius because that's totally it. Yeah. Because the higher anxiety you put in something, the more... The more the more danger you feel, and the more urgent it is to get it done. Yeah, it's like a negative motivation that you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also that an extension of that. Ooh, that's gonna. It's an extension of that feeling. Like whenever you have an assignment due, you can't really be content because you know you have it looming. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they also just want to get. They want to spend as much time as possible in the "I've completed everything I've been assigned" phase. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, say you. That would be an amazing feeling. Imagine being three weeks ahead of the end of the term Holy. and being done all your big papers and it's just test left. Imagine, yeah, you're caught up in every class and reading ahead just throughout the semester. I've never, ever, ever been there. No, me neither. No. And I don't think I'll ever be there. And that's all right. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be there. But, I mean, if you could do that, that would be pretty low stress if you could just get to that point and stay there. But here's the thing. Even, it doesn't get better. Like, no. now that I'm in the job world, you should if you could have if you could have a camera at my desk <laughs> on a day where I have no due due dates that day and there's no foreseeable deadlines if it's a slow season. Yep. Crazy. My to down to my muscle fibers how much slower and less focused I'm moving. Wow. Whereas like well I mean this is everyone but yep. if there if it like tomorrow I have my year end review and mm-hmm. so like today I was assembling or the last couple of days I was assembling the numbers which is a lengthy process and then filling out the sheet and it's like <laughs> like oh yeah sweating moving super fast i could have started two weeks ago mm-hmm. but it's not going to but time didn't necessitate that yeah yeah no it's definitely pretty crazy like i have an assignment due tonight oh shoot and like i don't know i wasn't really worried about it but now that it's four hours before it's due i'll just be able to like really get in there and i'll f- have a coffee i'll have a beer and I'll just rip it. That sounds great. A coffee and a beer, a stimulant and a depressant? Yeah. For some reason, having a little bit of alcohol in my system really helps me do assignments. I don't know why. Do you think? Okay. Don't say I'm addicted. No. Okay. No, no. <laughs> do you think that has to do with it eases the anxiety about making the perfect assignment? Definitely. Oh. I think that's the exact reason. How do we get rid of, like, I'm so like that. And I, like, sometimes I, I journaled. I remember, I still remember the day before I went to Calgary, I journaled one day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think the word optimal is my demon. <laughs> I think the, the, the concept of perfect mm-hmm. will forever be the cause of all my anxieties and, and discontentments in life. Like, if you could just get over, if Brayden could just get over his desire to be perfect, he'd be happy with what he is. And yeah. that goes for everyone. Yeah. To, to varying degrees. Everyone has that in them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's it's definitely crazy. I definitely feel that. I feel like I want to change so many things in my life mm-hmm. that aren't up to the standard I want them to be, which is everything. Which is just a brutal mindset to have because you're never going to be content if you're wanting to change everything in your life to be perfect. I don't know. Or just to be better. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the curse of high standards. Yeah. Because if you have a high, like we we've talked about this before, and I I, re, I really relate to that. Where it's like you get up in the morning, and for me, part of it is I get up and I feel little aches and pains that weren't there before. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about them and I stress about them. Are they gonna? When are they going to go away? And what can I do to make them go away? Mm-hmm. And then in the shower, you're thinking about what you've eaten lately and why it's departing from what you what would be good. You're like, oh, I wish I could eat more like this. Yep. I wish I would exercise more. Those are two big ones. I wish I could be more focused at work. I wish I could read more. Like there's all these different metrics. Yeah. And I want to do them all. Yeah. But it's just, I mean, there are, I, there are people out there that uh, seem like they're accomplishing them all. Like, like who? I don't know. I don't think anyone is. I think everyone, I think we're looking at each different person who's chosen one thing. Like we look at, like I look at Agamator or whatever, and I aspire to be him in chess, but he's given up. Like he's not a guy who's going to be working out. Yeah. He's giving up. Yeah, he's throwing exactly. it away. I, I guess. Want, yeah, yeah. I think it all goes back to your question: How much? You ever play those games? Okay, this is the last thing. <laughs> we got, at some point, we got to stop <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever play those games where you have like ten points, ten attribute points, and you have you have an avatar? It's like you can oh, yeah. give that person four strength and six quickness, or oh, whatever. Yeah. I feel like you have that's time, and you have that for yourself, and you can build only so much. Hmm. And I just want to be 10 and everything. <laughs> yeah, see, the, the idea that you can only build so much is like the worst idea to me. Because I don't want to just build so much. But you it's have like, to. It's, it's, it's such a strong feeling of wanting to achieve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yet the no motivation to do the things that I need to do to, to achieve. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's just such a huge separation from what I want and what I have motivation to do that it's crazy. Yeah. And that's what will make you accept whatever you become exceptional at. Mm-hmm. You'll become exceptional because of that. Because people who are happy don't improve. Yeah, like the mo- it's, I, yeah. it's the biggest bane, but the biggest it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, and that's it. Sweet. <laughs> Two hours and ten minutes. I went on. <laughs> really? we, we got going. That went on. He says as if he was done at one hour and thirty. No, no, I'm no, kidding. No, no, no. Good. Uh, this is my first two plus hour one. Really? So yeah, first time I went over. I've been I've been trending long. Like it started yeah. out. I think my first one was forty eight minutes, and then it got longer. And then it's hundred twenty, or I'm at hour twenty, then hour forty. And there's a few who were in the fifties. You're, you and me and Brendan were it was an hour and fifty seven. I think. Or yeah. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Anyways, thank you, <laughs> thank you, folks, for listening, and thank you for this was really really fun. Thanks for having me. This was actually I had a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. A lot of fun. Me too. All right. Well. uh that was Zach Coben, and I look forward to speaking with you guys again. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you have comments, questions, suggestions, the best way to be in touch is certainly by direct messaging me on Instagram. Um, the handle is B-P-L-U-S-W-I-T-H. BZ. B plus with BZ. Uh, Otherwise, I hope you're well and I hope you're staying safe.